Before we get started here, Iowa Post Game with Coach Don Patterson. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors that make this show possible each and every week. We start out with an Iowa company, Iowa Smokehouse, supplying your uh, everyday and your game day snacking needs, whether it be their thick and tasty and tender cuts of beef jerky. Maybe you're a fan of their meat sticks or their steak bites. They've got your snacking needs covered, folks, and salsas, barbecue sauces, ketchups, and much more. Tasting is believing. Use the code Hawkeyes at iowasmokehouse.com for 15% off your total order. And give you a little uh, insider info here, folks. If you spend $50 on an order via Iowa Smokehouse, and this stuff lasts forever if you're buying this cured meat, um, again, $50 or more on an order, you'll get free shipping. And you'll get that 15% off discount with the code Hawkeyes. Again, that's iowasmokehouse.com. Also sponsoring the show, Brad Van Meter and his team at State Farm in Des Moines. They offer auto, home, renters, business, life insurance, and the like. And uh, Brad tells me that uh, rates have never been this low with auto insurance. They're saving people lots of money. Give him a call and give him a chance to save you lots of money. 515-256-6480. And be sure to let him know that Corey sent you over here from the Hawkeye of the Storm. You can also visit him in his office online at www.bradvanmeter.com or in person at 4229 Fleur Drive in Des Moines State Farm, the largest auto insurance company in the nation. Brad Van Meter holding the fort down in Des Moines. Okay, we are here, folks. What a day. We're going to, I don't know where we're going to start, where we're going to end, uh, but uh, we're going to cover a lot of different points, a lot of different uh, items to be considered, talked about this evening. We've got Iowa, former Iowa coach Don Patterson going to be joining the show very soon. We've got HawkeyeReport.com's own Tom Cakert, who will be joining the show as well. I'm your host, Corey Brada here. Iowa Post Game with Coach Don Patterson. We're with you for at least the next couple of hours. It usually ends up being more than a couple of hours. But here's how this show works. Uh, you can call in, ask a question to myself, Coach Patterson, or if you get in and we have a couple of extra minutes, usually Tom Cakert is in a bit of a rush to get out of the press box at Kinnick, fresh off the Kirk Ferentz presser. We'll try to get you in if you uh, let me know you have a specific question for Tom. The way you can do this, folks, is by calling uh, our number, 515-635-1601, or clicking the link in the description below. You'll see a StreamYard link in the description Below this video, I also threw it up in the live chat earlier. That's the easiest way to get in and guarantee you get a spot in line. Um, we only have two phone line uh, openings uh, at a time. So basically, if somebody's if two people are on the phone line, you're just going to get a, a you're going to con continue to get that ringing signal. You might get a busy tone. I don't know where we have that set up right now. Somebody told me we had elevator music last week on hold, and I didn't even know that. So, anyways, the easiest way to call in by streamer, but the phone line is also open again five one five six three five sixteen zero one. And uh, a couple of ways to support the program. If you're enjoying this, you've been enjoying it throughout the season, or maybe you enjoy the off-season coverage, whatever the case may be, you can donate to the show, to the cause. There are links to Venmo, PayPal, Cash App. If you want to donate by credit card and you don't have a PayPal account, you can do so by clicking the PayPal link. There's a uh, button for making a one-time credit card payment. If you want to do that, we definitely appreciate it. You can also donate by Super Chat. Super sticker, super thanks, all those things through YouTube. Those are all ways you can support. And of course, by hitting the like button, hitting the subscribe button, hitting the bell for notifications. And of course, just telling people, telling other Hawkeye fans, we know you have a community of Hawkeye fans. We're trying to expand our reach. Tell others about the uh, work being done here from the Hawkeye of the Storm. And certainly our marquee shows with uh, Coach Don Patterson and Coach Gary Close for Iowa men's basketball. So the Hawkeyes defeating the Rutgers Scarlet Knights 22 to 0. 
And this game was 3-0 at halftime. Felt like uh, almost every other game we've seen from Iowa football throughout conference play. And then the second half happened. And I'll give Deacon Hill and this Iowa offense credit. I, they obviously moved the ball better in that first half. And, you know, had a couple of unfortunate things happen down the field, especially toward the goal line at the end of the first half. A horrendous decision by Deacon Hill that cost him at least three points. Uh, could have easily been a pick six. That would have potentially changed the game. But a bad decision by Deacon Hill and a bad throw uh, in the red zone. Still room for improvement with decision-making from Deacon. But for the most part, he was really good. Certainly his most accurate day from the pocket. And um, the playbook seemed to be opened up a little bit more. And I'm anxious to get Coach Patterson's thoughts on how they utilize guys like uh, even Zach Ortworth, true freshman Zach Ortworth out of St. Louis. Addison Estringa was also a big part of today's game. In fact, um, Addison Estringa, the well redshirt freshman from uh, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, he is our RTI Threads player of the game. Yes, I've got my RTI Threads CD3 shirt on, our Cooper DeGene shirt, but Addison Estringa with eight big receptions for 47 yards. And you may say, well, how can he be the player of the game with his 47 receiving yards? Uh, I'll tell you, a lot of really consequential catches for five, six, seven yards, either moving the sticks or putting them in short yardage situations on critical downs. That was Addison Estringa. And they've been through so much as far as injuries are concerned at tight end with Eric All, Luke Lachey, Steven Stolianos was out today. So Addison Estringa and Zach Ortworth, I know Ortworth just had one catch, but he's been playing a lot more as a true freshman. It's not easy to play as a tight end, as a young player. And that's another thing I want to talk to former tight ends coach Don Patterson about. Uh, I thought Addison was really, really good. And I think it's fair to say he's probably going to be the next great one at Iowa. Zach Ortworth's got a chance at being really good. I still like the young guys. Grant Leaper's on the roster as well. I know Kale Vanderbush is a year in. Same class as uh, Addison Estringa, and they've got good products, good prospects coming in in 2024 but congratulations to addison Estringa this evening our rti threads player of the game all right uh we're gonna have coach john patterson here in a few minutes so let's get to a couple of your phone calls before we do that iowa smokehouse sponsoring our phone line this evening we appreciate iowa smokehouse for doing that and how about this we've got the one and only lomansky on camera look at lomansky how you doing sir how do i sound Corey? do i sound okay you sound great. Are you? You're not on an Android, I assume, because we're having some issues. Streamyard's having some issues with Androids. Get guess what this is? That is a mini Iowa helmet. So I can send that to Mark Rogers to help the Hawks, or I can send it to you. So you'll have to text me. Okay, sounds good. It'll be a little bit smaller than the rest of Mark Rogers' helmets, but maybe he can put it right up in front of like the Michigan helmet or the Ohio so, state. So his, his helmets are full size. They're not full size. I don't think they're that small. Are they? I mean, unless you're just really big, are you like seven foot five? You're not that big. Are you? Yeah. Like that's, that's almost like, am I good? Am I mic clear here? Can you hear me? Okay. Lomansky, I feel like my mic is cutting in and out. Um, it almost is like palm size, right? It's a lot better. Whatever you're doing, Corey, it's better. Okay. All right. I don't know what's going on with my mic. People need to let me know. If I'm having issues with the mic, please let me know. Um, okay. So what was going on is we had double sound, but I think we're okay now. Okay. Uh, Lomansky, I know you're happy. I saw your super chat early, which appreciate that. And um, I'll go ahead and since you're on the line with us. Oh, yeah, Lomansky's taking a swig of whatever's in that mega Bud Light bottle. Uh, Miller Lite, I'm sorry, Miller Lite bottle. Uh, in heaven, there is no beer, Corey. 
in heaven there is no beer. Lemansky, no better fans than Hawkeyes. Uh, what inspired the comment this evening, sir? Besides the obvious. Besides the, I, what, a dozen false starts against... I guess my comments tonight would be... I just wonder how good... Lomansky, you're cutting out pretty bad. Can you, uh, can you try that again? I wonder how good the players could be if they got more time on the field. You're talking about uh, the offensive players? I'll, I'll call in if you want, because you've got a lot of people that want to talk to you. So why don't I call in the phone line, Corey? Okay, sounds good, Lomansky. You're cutting out pretty bad, but give me a call. Okay, I don't know what was going on with Lomansky's video and his audio was kind of not, first of all, wasn't synced. So maybe we can get Lomansky to call in, but I do appreciate seeing him on camera. And he's a, he's a happy Lomansky this afternoon. And again, the, the super chat here from Lomansky, I do appreciate that as well. And Scott with the super chat, exciting game for us Ferentz supporters. Deacon Hill, no longer a waste. Great to see Kurt get his due after working so hard on player development and calmness. Player development and calmness. I will say that, that for the most part, Deacon Hill was more composed today. He wasn't perfect. No one's claiming he was perfect. It was a horrendous throw at the end of the first half. Had a couple other decisions I thought were questionable. And he's probably never going to be an NFL quarterback. Um, that's fine. He, he probably doesn't need to be. He does not need to be for this team to, to win a lot of games this year. They've already won, uh, what, eight? They're eight and two now. And, um, you know, Look, the bottom line is uh, right now the guy's playing. He appears that he's playing with confidence. And as it was brought up during the broadcast, it appears that Iowa has more confidence in him, or at least they've showed to have more confidence in them. And kudos to Brian and uh, Brian and Kirk and John Budmeyer, whoever's behind that. Um, I want to ask, man, I got a lot of things to ask Don Patterson. One of the things that's always intrigued me, Don has told the story of one of his teams, and I don't remember which year it was, but uh, Don has uh, historically and and um, humorously told a story about one of his teams at Iowa and about how one of the greatest things they did as a coaching staff was never tell the players that they weren't really that good, right? And the point is, you're not even ripping the players, but um, the point is their main goal, especially on game day, was inspiring confidence in their guys, whether they're a walk-on from you know Gilbert, Iowa, or... You know, they're a five-star from Irving, Texas. Um, you show confidence in your guys, and I think that's what we saw. I think that's part of what we saw this evening with Deacon Hill. I think um, Iowa showed confidence with him at play calling and uh, put him in a position to succeed, and, and kudos to the coaching staff for doing that. And I made the comment when Brian Ferentz was let go here a couple of weeks ago when it, when it was announced by interim AD Beth Getz that he was not going to be returning in 2024. I, I, Don and I both agreed on this. We both said, I think, we think, um, Brian Ferentz is going to coach as hard as he's ever coached these last four weeks because he loves Iowa. And I'm not saying he's just turned the offense into productivity and the offense is all of a sudden good after these years of problems. But today was a good performance by the offense, by by Brian Ferentz, by the offensive line. Collectively, they got Caleb Brown involved. They did not play Cooper to Gene. But if they can get guys like Caleb Brown the football, um, you know, where has Caleb Brown been the first seven, eight games? I don't know. But uh he played today and played well, made some big catches, uh, showed his soft hands, and um, you can see why he was recruited by Ohio State. 
Now, uh, the ceiling, we've talked about the ceiling in the passing game. It's not anything to uh, ride home about, but um, this is a an offense with weapons if they're properly utilized, and tonight they were. And with this defense, this defense is absolutely phenomenal. And I'll say this again, uh, first couple of weeks of the season, we had people calling in, ah, this defense isn't going to be as good as last year. They're going to take a big step back. Well, you know, at the time I said, let's, let's pump the brakes on that. I, I don't know about that. I know Jack Campbell was great. I know that Seth Benson was really good and Riley Moss was solid. I think this defense is every bit as good um, as it was last year. And that's kudos to a lot of people. Phil Parker primarily, but also got people like Seth Wallace, Nick Jackson, Jay Higgins, Xavier Wampa has improved as the year went on. We saw Quinn Schulte make a big play in the secondary. I believe we've got Lomansky back on our Iowa Smokehouse calling line. Lomansky, can you hear me? I can. I'll shut my sound off. I should be clear now, Corey. I got you loud and clear now. I was just talking, Lomansky, just about the uh, the effort from this defense and uh, uh, 22-0 shutout. You can't uh, wish for a whole lot more. And, and this goes back to our what we've been preaching for the last two to three years, how the, def- the offense does not need to be great. It doesn't even really need to be good. It just needs to be average. And what they did tonight was average. What they did tonight was average. 402 in total yardage. Um, I mean, you're going to win a lot of games, almost every game, especially with the schedule, uh, almost guaranteed to win almost every game but one uh, had they had this type of production from game one to game 12. So reason to celebrate, Lemansky. I just want to double or triple down what you and Coach have been talking about, and I just wonder how maybe maybe it's – Maybe it's our athletes prevent other athletes from coming in, but look at look at the improvement from our QB. Look at our improvement from Brown at wide receiver. Uh, you know, when we have injuries, people get on the field, and I am not disappointed, especially at tight end, which might be our deepest. But you know, uh, and I really want a, a shout out to Kirk France before I forget. Um, you know, he tied Bo Schembechler for most wins in the Big Ten Conference. Kirk does it his way. He's much different personality than Hayden Fry, but in his own unique way, even though he's got the wind behind his sails with the West Division, what an accomplishment to tie Bo Schembechler. And as much as we get frustrated with the offense, uh, I just want to shout out Kirk publicly. Uh, to the chatters and Iowa fans because, you know, you look around the country and we've got it pretty damn good. The only thing I wonder, Corey, I like your comment, and uh, I just wonder, you know, if Brown got on the field earlier, if some of the other offensive players had got on the field earlier, even our QB who didn't get on the field in Wisconsin, three minutes left, the game's in hand, why not run out another quarterback, even if you're a public relations person? You know the Iowa fans would go to standing ovation if they handed the ball up four times and took the knee with a different QB. And I guess that's my only frustration is I wonder how much talent is sitting on the bench, and I'll let you comment on that. I didn't even think about that, to be quite honest, Lomansky. I mean, 22-0, and yeah, they were running the clock out. You know, They, they went for it on fourth down, ran the ball, and then Kudos to Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz. And that's a Kirk decision, ultimately. They took a knee down there with 40 seconds to go. It was almost the identical scenario to what we had against Western Michigan in September. And I made the comment that I can see why it made some people uncomfortable. Now there's different 
circumstances now because the contract is no longer important. The contract stipulation is no longer important because it's been confirmed that Brian's not returning. But that knee, I thought, was really important. And some people are going to say I'm stupid or crazy for saying that. I thought that knee was really important up 22-0. Um, that is the, the 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 right move in that situation. Now, uh, the question of you know putting Labus or Marco Linez in there at the end. Yeah, you're up three scores. That's that's very much true. Um, you know, they were up 27-0 against Nevada last year and didn't put anybody in, didn't put Padilla in. Didn't, remember how bad Petrus was playing at the time. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get the... I'm guessing that, that Don Patterson will agree with you when he gets here. But, um, yeah, it would be nice when you're up three scores to get a look at your backups. But it would have been a pretty small window there at the end of the game. Well, let me ask you, Corey, if you were if you were putting in the work like I did in high school, even when I got up mop-up play, I was pleased to be out there. I do the same amount of practice of a lot of people. I think that's big time. And I'd like you to ask Don that question because that's that's rewarding people. I've heard coaches talk about the uh, the players that mimic the opposing team and how important they are. I really feel strongly about this, and I know what I'd like to know what Don said because I've on a previous show I talked about three three quarterbacks in his day got on the field. Uh, including Chuck Long when he was young. And I think even Lon Owens that took a snap. It might have been a, a throw from his punting position where they went for it. But I can't, you know, conservatism has helped the coaching staff. But, man, let's motivate some players and reward them for practice. Um, I feel pretty strongly about it. Please ask Coach that. Uh, appreciate your coverage. You've got a lot of people that want to talk to you. Uh, this is a great, great win. I have more respect for Shiano and Rutgers this year than ever. And I think uh, to perform that well in the three phases against Rutgers with Shiano having his best year ever, uh, he's pretty highly thought of. I don't, I, this might be our toughest game of the year. Uh, and I'll uh, listen to your comments on this and then hang up, Corey. Well, I see some comments here in the the chat about uh, you know Xander says Kirk Ferentz should be coach of the year. I, I don't know about that. I think that's maybe jumping the gun a little bit. Uh, I mean, we can have that discussion, I guess, another day. And then when the season's over, um, I don't know what the Big Ten race would be like right now. It'd probably be, I mean, man, with the Jim Harbaugh controversy, it probably would have been Jim Harbaugh had the controversy not occurred. Um, you know, Ryan Day's offense has not looked very good, and he's an offensive guy. And, you know, Penn State, James Franklin, once again, can't beat the two uh, big boys in the East. So and then you look at the other teams in the West, everybody else seems to kind of be falling off a cliff right now. Uh, Maryland's fallen off. So, man, uh, maybe I've talked myself into making Kirk coach of the year in the Big Ten. Um, But probably between him and, and Ryan Day, I'm trying to think of who else there would be. I mean, maybe if Nebraska gets to bowl eligibility, they give it to to uh, what's his face, Matt Rule. But uh yeah, uh, I, I couldn't be happier for Kirk. I know he's emotional. There's a lot of reason why he's emotional. I'm sure. Um, I, you know, I know he was emotional last week when he took the field with Brian against Northwestern. Um, and I mean, right now, what they need to focus on, like Deacon Hill said after the game, they need to focus on Illinois. They've got a, a share of the West title locked up, but they're not guaranteed to go to Indy. They need to win these last two games. Both of these teams in front of them are extremely beatable. 
Uh, Illinois won today, but struggled against Indiana, took overtime to beat the Hoosiers. Nebraska lost to Maryland, and uh, Nebraska's offense is a mess. Iowa should win the last two weeks, and if the offense plays like it did tonight, that's a big if, but if they play like they did tonight, take a really long pause before I say this, I believe they can at least compete against whoever the other team is. It's not going to be Penn State. It's going to be either Michigan or Ohio State. Um, Now, what does compete look like from a score perspective? I don't know. (laughs) I'm not about to predict it because I don't know. And this is one game. Let's remember that. This is one game. Deacon Hill has been really poor, all right, in a lot of different areas up until this game. So this is great, fabulous, but I flash back to what happened in 2017. Iowa has this amazing performance offensively against Ohio State where they put up like 55 the next week what happened Nate Stanley throws for like 40 yards and they get shut out well the offense gets shut out I should say Uh, that was the Josh Jackson two pick six game Um, so not to be Debbie Downer but I need a bigger sample size but back to your point Lomansky very happy for Kirk and I'm happy for Brian I'm happy for Brian Um, and I as I said two weeks ago I hope they win every game and I hope Brian's offense looks really good and he can go get another job somewhere with that on his resume. I thought the same thing about Brian. I hope I hope he finishes the season strong and get another job. I don't wish him ill will at some other institution. Did you catch the Penn State game at the end of the first half? I did not. Yeah, I thought who's your who's your one of your least favorite coaches in the Big Ten? Your bottom two. Well, I don't like you just dislike. I don't like Franklin or Harbaugh right now. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning Franklin. At the end of the first half, he's chasing points. He goes for two instead of being down by seven and going to the half, he's down by eight. And that, that factors into the rest of the second half. And Franklin always has to be the smartest man in the room. And I like Kirk, how he talks in public. I have never, ever caught Kirk acting like he's the smartest man in the room ever. I agree. I agree. And and, and, that's, and, that, and that's that's class for the Iowa program. And the kneel down at the end of the game, that's class and respect for your other Big Ten opponents. And I don't uh, – uh, Harbaugh is – what do you call it? He's entertainment. But I guess what's going on this year, I'm sure glad we've got the coaching staff and the program that we got because – it even gives the narrative of the Big Ten something bad nationwide. And we've had some smart remarks by Michigan in the in the podcast. And uh, don't let the don't let the trolls ruin our party, Hawkeyes. Well, Lomansky, I appreciate your call, and feel free to call in later if you want with Coach Patterson. But I'll, I'll definitely pass some of these comments along. Thank you, sir. All right, yeah, a couple more Super Chats to get to. Bill with the Super Chat. Appreciate this, Bill. Thank you. If Minnesota loses to Ohio State, the only team that can still win the Big Ten West are Nebraska, Illinois, Iowa. Illinois. How can Illinois still be in the race? That's incredible. By the way, who is that guy playing quarterback for Iowa? Um, Appreciate that Super Chat, Bill. And I do have the official box score. Also, James, James Rowden, uh, thank you for the donation. I have this correct. Yeah, James. James uh, donated via, I believe, Venmo. Thank you for that, James. Uh, he says, uh, how about them Hawks? Appreciate your analysis, and I appreciate your donation, James. Thank you for being a part of it. And again, thank you to Bill. 
Um, we're going to get the official box score up here in a second. I ran through a couple of these numbers earlier. Um, we can go ahead and do that while we're waiting for uh, our team, Tom Kakert and, Co- of course, Coach Don Patterson to get here. Uh, I mentioned Addison Estringa. He uh, played really, really well. But how about this? Deacon Hill on the day, 223 yards, one touchdown, one INT. And I don't have his completion percentage. Let me find that. I believe he was, was he, okay, 20 of 31. So that's like, what, 65%? 65%? Those are winning numbers against a good Rutgers defense. Winning numbers against a good Rutgers defense. So I'm anxious to get an offensive mind's perspective on this. Coach Patterson and his expertise is going to be invaluable this evening. Uh, I, I just be, be, and of course, he hasn't been able to watch the tape back. This is going to be some instant reaction from him as well, but I'll be anxious to get that. Total yardage. How about this? We're used to seeing this sort of reversed. If anybody had wondered heading into this game, if, if you had been told somebody's going to eclipse 400 yards, even though Rutgers offense is not very good, if, if you were told somebody's going to eclipse 400 yards and the other team's going to fail to reach 150 yards, would you have expected Iowa to be the team on top? I certainly would not have. I don't know that many people. I would guess if we pulled people, uh, maybe hindsight's 2020, so people aren't going to be um, real honest with this, but um, I would guess almost 80% of fans would have said, yeah, if anything, it's Rutgers probably doing that. Um, all right, let's get to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. And I want to make sure we have... Okay, I think we've got uh, Alex with us. Alex, how are you? Good. good. Uh, any echo on your end? I'm good on my end. No echo on your end. You've got some notes to share, don't you? I always have notes. <laughs> okay, starting on your notes, i got to jump up and make a correction with my equipment. I'll be right back. Go ahead with All your right. notes and observations. I'm listening to you. Okay, no. Uh, well, the first thing I want to say, um, obviously, before any game notes I wanted to say would be, uh, obviously, today is Veterans Day. Uh, so I want to, you know, give a shout out to all the veterans, anyone who's watching. Um, you know, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without your service and sacrifice. So I just want to show my appreciation for all uh, the veterans who have served or, you know, maybe uh, who are still serving as well. So just wanted to say thank you for that. Um so uh, that was kind of uh, the first note. Obviously, I want to hit that because that's the most important thing. Um, shouting out those people who sacrifice parts of their lives to let us enjoy what we enjoy, which is Iowa, Iowa football. Um, but um, uh, shout out to the crowd. Uh, I think it was six, five or six false starts uh, for Rutgers. So um, Iowa in November, Iowa is an extremely tough place to play. I think we obviously proved that uh, tonight. Um, Shout out to the defense. It's a, a shutout, uh, first shutout since 2021, I believe, against Northwestern. So, again, shout out to the defense playing really well, uh, Phil Parker. Uh, zero penalties, too, by Iowa. No penalties on the game. So, Iowa, you know, continues. This was a damn near perfect game by Iowa, both on every side of the ball. Special teams did really well. Granted, one missed field goal uh, and then one interception by Deacon Hill. So, a great um so a pretty, pretty near perfect game by Iowa all around. Oh, I did write this down. You were talking about coach of the year, uh, Northwestern head coach. Um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Um, just because of where that program was at with before the season started. And now, uh, they wallop, uh, Wisconsin. They have a chance to make a bowl where I think their preseason win total was two and a half, three and a half, something like that. Now they're flirting on the edge of bowl eligibility. So, and then, and, and- uh, 
next question, I know this is an Iowa show, but my next question would obviously be, you've got to be looking at that interim coach potentially for, you know, permanent residency there in Evanston, because what a coaching job that has been. Um, I don't even know the guy's name. Do you, you know, remember the guy's name? No, David Braun. That's Braun. the guy's name. Braun. Yeah. Okay. So, and then I believe Minnesota lots, which is something you had didn't touch. I don't know if you mentioned that when talking to Lemansky there, but so Iowa now has a share of the big 10 West title. And I believe so. And they said this on the post game was that Iowa just needs to win either Illinois or Nebraska. And they punch their ticket to Indy. But I believe if Minnesota loses, and this is something you can ask Tom, he would might, he might know this. If Minnesota loses to Ohio state or Wisconsin, I think Iowa's automatically in because then Iowa could be, if they, Iowa loses both games, Wisconsin wins both games, Iowa and Wisconsin are tied. But since Iowa has the win against Wisconsin, Iowa would go. I think that's how it worked out. Um, and I was like, that'd be a good question for Tom. Just, you know, obviously Iowa just needs to win one more. Yeah. So, yeah, I haven't, um, yeah, I'll just say this. The, the, the division is a mess right now. Um, it's as bad as it's ever been. Um, you know, the, the fact that the, I don't even know what the record is East versus West and it's always been lopsided, but my guess is it's again, as bad as it's ever been. And um, if you're Iowa, I mean, they got a shot now that they're going to be going into assuming they can win these next two games, which is not a guarantee. They're going to go into Indy with no expectation to win. No pressure at all. Less pressure than they had in 2021. I mean, that's house money. That's, that's Brian Ferentz's last chance to show something against a major team because they probably will play, they'll play somebody good in a bowl game, but they may be a team that has lost a lot of people for early entry to the draft. And I, I'm just, that is going to be an interesting game. Now, maybe Iowa lays an egg and they, you know, get B42 to three again. That's possible. Um, but I'll just be anxious to see how Brian calls that game. Assuming they, yeah. Um, now I'm a question for you. Did you hear like, obviously USC fired, uh, their defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, uh, after the Washington game. And I saw some reports of um, Phil Parker potentially going to USC, or at least that was a name that was thrown out there. Uh, personally, I don't think he'll go. Um, he's an older. He's, not he's going to USC. No, no. I I, per, I saw that and I go. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I think it's kind of scary that his name got thrown out there, but I don't think he'll go. Um, he's. I mean, he's no spring chicken. I don't think he'll leave Iowa because. You know, I don't think he's too much behind Kirk. Whenever Kirk retires, I think Phil will follow shortly after. And going out to L.A., he doesn't seem like an L.A. guy. And it's like you have to be you have to be good to be in that spotlight. And if you're you kind of average to mediocre, I mean, they'll give you two shots and then you're gone. So, but well, I just I, I found that interesting. I, I don't that think his, I, I don't. I'm not like I have inside information on this, but I don't think uh, my guess is that Phil Parker is not interested in. Uh, you know, moving family to, to LA and, and, you know, at what, 60, was he, what is he 60 years old? Something um, like that. Yeah. I, I was, ne- I did not think it would be a shot, but then another person was Jim Leonard. Who's just an analyst for I think Illinois. I think he's the best candidate for that one. So, well, and, and here's the other thing. Um, Phil Parker's name should be brought up with all those jobs. It should be uh, rightfully. So, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, just because the name gets brought up doesn't mean anything. Um, no, I will say this. Uh, they would be USC would be foolish not to call Phil Parker and to pursue make him say no, make him say no. Um, you know, 
if he's interested in being a DC somewhere, I would think if there's anything left on the docket for Phil Parker, it's, hey, I'll wait around until Phil, until Kirk retires and I'll take the reins as a head coach. I, I don't know. It would be hard for me to imagine a scenario where Phil Parker's like, well, well, what do I have left to do? Oh, I know. I'll be a DC at USC with all the smoke out there and move to LA at age 60 and be under scrutiny more than ever before. Uh, I don't know what he's, he'd probably be making double what he's making here, but cost of living in California is a lot. I mean, apples to oranges compared to Iowa. I mean, there's a lot of things to, to take into consideration, but I, yeah, I, I seriously doubt that ever happens. No, I, I just found it interesting that I saw his name, like in top five, like candidates for DC at USC. I can't remember. It was a like Athlon maybe, or something, some, one of those sports, uh, uh, like sports magazines, uh, I saw that there, and I just found it interesting. But uh, I'm like you; I don't think he'll leave. Um, really, the la- I mean, just for me, just not not a lot of notes on the game uh, because, uh, like I said, it was a near perfect game. Um, I think Caleb Brown had a bit of a coming out party. I think he chipped away at trying to get his playing time, and it was. Um, I saw a Twitter update from David Eichold. He was at the stand. He said he was pretty emotional after that touchdown that it didn't really hit him till he got to the sidelines. So I'm happy for him. Um, you know, welcome to Iowa young buck. I, you know, I hope, you know, we see more great things out of him. He kind of proved that once he gets the ball in his hands, like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to get as much, I'm going to make the most of it. He's like, you know, maybe not to the level Cooper regime, but man, he's, it feels like he has that drive to like, once, if I get the ball in my hands, I'm going to make it really count. So that touchdown he got was, you know, he fought, for that touchdown, he didn't walk in. He got hit a couple of times and kept his feet. So uh, I think he kind of proved like, hey, I'm a I'm a gamer. I want the ball. I can do some good things if I have the ball in my hands. Uh, speaking of the offense, too, um, I saw this stat, zero three and outs. Iowa had not had a single three and out the entire game, which I thought was pretty impressive. So, Yeah, somebody brought that to my attention, and I almost didn't believe him at first. Um, when's the last time we could say that? Uh, you know, the, the first time that Iowa has eclipsed 400 yards since I think October 1st, 2021, but when's the last time they win an entire game without a single offensive three and out? That's, that's probably equally as hard to come by. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's what this offense needs to do. We talked, uh, we've talked at nauseum about the fact that this defense is so good in spite of the fact that they're always on the field. And, uh, you know, we had the, the crazy, example of that was the Penn State game earlier this year where Penn State snapped it like 97 98 times or something insane 97 like 97 plays the defense is on the field for just over 45 minutes so three essentially three quarters of the game you want to guess how many offensive plays were snapped by Rutgers today I'll, I'll tell you uh let me guess so at the time of possession I know Iowa had the lead on that I think it was like 38 for for Iowa or somewhere around there because Snaps by Rutgers, I will say 43. All right, great guess. 41. 41 snaps for Rutgers. And uh, let's see, Iowa had... Uh, Probably 60. 77. Oh. Wow. 77. Offensive explosion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, really impressive. Uh, again, really impressive. I'm going to curb my enthusiasm. In the words of Larry David, I'm going to curb my enthusiasm simply because this is a one game, one game, and it seems like a pretty massive outlier. But reason to celebrate today against a good defense, no question about it. Well, they—I've heard the the phrase "do it 
do it twi- uh, do it once it's luck do it twice it's skill so hopefully um but that's the and then the last two things and that kind of touch on what i just said so uh Rutgers, it seemed like they targeted Jamari Harris a lot, number 27. And this is not a shot at him, but I think he is our weakest defensive back. Obviously, we have Cooper DeGene, Quinn Schulte. Um, but I think he kind of showed up and played really well. He, I, I think Northwestern targeted Jamari Harris as well. I think Rutgers saw that. Um, obviously, they didn't want to go at Cooper too much. And just saying he's the weakest defensive back is not like saying he's bad. It's just when you compare him to what who we have on the field uh, for defensive backs, it's just you're among great company. I mean, it's just, you know, again, he played, I think he's a good cornerback, a good college cornerback. Um, well, typically but, your, best, your best skill position, play, typical teams, right? Your, your, your fastest, best skill position players are going to be on the outside. So <laughs> they're going to be matched up with Cooper DeGene and Jamari Harris. So what you just said is absolutely right. I mean, uh, if you have the choice, the the lesser of two evils, you're going to go toward Jamari Harris. But I, I'm with you. I think he's played really well. I know he gave up one touchdown last week, but yeah. there's not really a weak link right now with this defense. No. And then kind of going, kind of comparing that with Iowa's next game with uh, Illinois. Um, Illinois is very similar to Rutgers, where is that? They're, uh, and I didn't bring this up last week. And that, well, the only thing I mentioned last week was I was a little concerned about this game because I thought Rutgers could move the ball with Gavin Wimsett with his feet, and they didn't run him too much, which was surprising. But um, Illinois, I think, is a kind of the lesser of Rutgers, where um, they have a mobile quarterback. I don't know if, um, oh, I can't think of his name, um, is going to be back, but that paddock looked pretty good. But they're weak, on specifically on the defense, they're weak on the outside, which is where Rutgers has the weakest, and Iowa was able to exploit that. So I think... If I was going to have a similar type game uh, to Rutgers, they need to exploit those cornerbacks. Obviously, Illinois got a, you know, probably a first round pick and Johnny Newton on that defensive line. So if Iowa, the protection was really good today. I, I don't think I, outside of, you know, you know, that bad snap, uh, I don't think Iowa gave up what, maybe two sacks, one sack, if you count that fumble uh, when Iowa was down near the goal line. So if Iowa can protect Deacon. I think Iowa, I'm not too worried about Illinois, but um, it's at Kinnick. So, um, I'm not really worried about Illinois. Here's what I'll say, and don't feed this to the players, but I'm not really worried about Illinois anyways because this team has been winning games without an offense. Like, I mean, the, the offense was solid today, not great. They were solid. They got 400 total yards. Deacon Hill's numbers were good, not great. No, no touchdowns, one pick. The, the run game averaged around four yards a carry, which is the mark that you kind of set, the, the low bar. So, like, I don't know, man. I I, I know I'm going to be given this aura of overconfidence, but we all said even after the – well, after Cade went down against, what was that, uh, Michigan State. Michigan State. Hey, as long as Deacon Hill doesn't throw a bunch of pick sixes, they're going to win probably every game or at least close to every game remaining in the schedule – they should have won the Minnesota game. We won't rehash that. I'm sure we'll have time to do that moving forward. But you, you could look at them right now and say, hey, they should be, you know, what, nine and one. Yeah. And so that's why, like, I, even if the offense takes a big, this is what's crazy. Even if the offense goes back to what it looked like a week ago, Alex, which to be quite honest, this is going to anger some people. I think there's a better chance that that happens than we get a replication of what we saw, a duplication of what we saw today. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll do what they did tonight. But, you know, if they get like, you know, just like maybe a touch under 300, I still think it's from what we've seen, it's still pretty decent. Uh, but that's that's really the last note I had. Um, obviously, going, you know, enjoy the win tonight. You know, I think Iowa, 
did a lot of things right. You know, try to let's you know. Hopefully, they can build off of that. Um, I think Illinois will be, you know, with Johnny Newton on that defensive line. That's the one player they have to watch watch out for. They have some good wide receivers, as Eddie William, Pat Bryant. Um, I can't think of their tight end off the top of my head. You know, our Casey Washington's another good wide receiver for them. Um, so you know, I think the defensive backs will have some work cut out for them, but their offensive line has Illinois offensive line has not done very well. Not as bad as Purdue's, but, um, I think Iowa, um, I'm fairly confident going into that Illinois game. Um, kind of curious to see what the game total was, uh, for all you sickos out there, the under did hit. So, but that's the last, last I'll say, uh, the only thing I asked is ask Tom about how the West would shake up. Like what's the quote unquote scenarios for Iowa to clinch the West. Obviously a win is the easiest path either against Illinois or Nebraska, or if Iowa happens to lose both those next two games, what's the, what's the other scenario where Iowa can essentially punch its ticket to India. I'm kind of curious about that, but anyways, I'll get off, um, get off here. Let other people get on. I appreciate you taking my call, Corey, and have a good night. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. And Eric brings up in the chat, two bad mistakes by Deacon. The the fumbled snap was on Deacon. The pick was absolutely on Deacon. I don't know what the play call was there. I'll be anxious to get Coach Patterson's thoughts on that play because it seemed like an odd call uh, throwing across the field uh, near the goal line. Uh, throw was not even close to being... First of all, the, the route did not take the receiver into the end zone, so it would have been a situation where we would have had to work for extra yardage to get the touchdown. And it was just a terrible decision to throw that back across the field. And again, kind of an odd call uh, from my perspective as well. Uh, we're going to put our phone line people on hold. We'll be right back with you um, with the Super Chat. Erica here with the Super Chat. That was a real team win and legit complimentary football, folks. Let's enjoy it. Go Hawks. Thank you for that, uh, Erica. Appreciate that. Um, let's see. Mo Parley. Did anyone else notice that Brian... Fired Ferentz is wearing a simple black hoodie with no Tiger Hawk. Not an oversight. Didn't support our team for years. Why do it now? Um, no, I didn't notice that. And um, I, I really wouldn't read into that. But uh, you do you. Drew with the Super Chat. Thank you. What is a one-loss Iowa team ranked right now? If Iowa, if Minnesota, the Minnesota call is not made. Go Hawks. What are they, 22 in the college football playoff rankings? I don't know who is ahead of them. I, I really don't care too much about the rankings ahead of Iowa right now. I don't care about the rankings in general because Iowa's not in the playoff race. Um, but honestly, they'd probably be at least top 20, top 15, I'd say. And I did bring up uh, the question to the voice of college football, Mark Rogers, a couple weeks ago after that Minnesota game happened. I made the comment. I said, Mark, if, if somehow Iowa wins out and they're really impressive in winning out and they go 10 and 2 and then somehow in impressive, dramatic, heroic fashion, Blitzkrieg, Ohio State, or Michigan. Does the committee go back and look at that and say, hmm, 11-2, and two, and frankly, we never do this, but that call at the end of the Minnesota game was garbage. And by the way, you can say, letter of the law, Corey. Well, let's remember that the committee is not governed by the NCAA. The committee is not governed by the Big Ten or those officials. Or even the rule book, frankly. So you may not like that if you're not an Iowa fan. Iowa fans will love it. But the committee could go back and look at that and say, we're going to actually look at this team as 12-1 and one Big Ten champions. Conceivably, is that possible? 
Probably not, but you never know. Brad with a super chat. Thank you, Brad. Hey, Corey, love your show. Please keep up the great work. I appreciate that, Brad. Thank you for the donation and for uh, supporting the show by watching and telling other people about the show. Do appreciate that. We've got Bill. We've got OS for Hawks, Clayton, Randy, and a couple of people on our phone line as well. But the man of the hour is here. Coach Don Patterson is with us. Don, it's good to see your face. Good to be seen, Corey. <laughs> so it's not good to see my face, but it's good to be seen. <laughs> good to be seen. Uh, my hair might be kind of a mess, but anyway. You're good. You're, uh, you're fresh off your trip to Kinnick. Um, yes. A lot of happy fans here in the in the live chat and a lot to get to as it relates to both sides of the football, offense, defense, and frankly, special teams was solid again today. But we're going to start with the obvious. Um, Iowa eclipses 400 yards for the first time since October 1st, 2021. Um, really solid uh, on the ground and in the passing game, they averaged four on the ground, four yards per carry on the ground. And um, I believe over seven yards per pass attempt, I believe. Um, talk about what went right. What what was different about the offense this week with Deacon Hill at the helm that we haven't seen for the last five, six games? Well, we uh, we kept Rutgers off balance with our play calling. And uh, we really hurt him a lot with uh, some pass plays that involved some misdirection. You know, a lot of nakeds, but nakeds uh, in different forms. Sometimes it was a receiver driving all the way across the field with a crossing route. Um, other times it was a front side receiver, you know, that was releasing and catching a pass. But I thought we just did a good job. Let, let's back up a little bit. What really helped even more is we consistently gained, I, I don't know what our numbers were, but we gained, uh, we gained four yards a lot on first down with our running game. We got into a lot of second medium. Even some second and short, um, we converted any number of times on third and short, of course. We were always ahead of the chains, and, and we kept them off balance with our play calling. You know, we, we had a good mix of running pass, and we gave we gave Deacon a, a chance to have a high percentage day, and he did. Uh, some of those throws were thrown behind the line even. Uh, smart football. We know that Nico, if you give him the ball out wide, behind the line of scrimmage with some bloggers in front of him, he'll make something happen. He'll turn it into positive yardage, I think, just about every time. Uh, and our perimeter blocking was better for those kind of plays. Um, you know, tight ends caught the ball well. Um, really, I thought it was a, a wonderful team win. I don't mind telling you, I've already texted Kirk with my, my congratulations, and I said, today, Kirk, you played like a championship football team. And that's exactly what we need to do because we're going to represent in a few short weeks in Indianapolis, and we need to we need to play like a, like one of the best two teams in the Big Ten. That's hard to do, as stacked as the the Big Ten East is. It's hard to do that, but that's our goal is to uh, compete for a championship. We have to get there first, but I'm confident we're going to be able to do that. And then we'll show up and see what happens. The pressure will be. On the other side, because as you've already mentioned, we're not likely to be part of any kind of Final Four. I don't think that's going to happen. They're not going to. They're not going to forget about the fact that on paper we lost to Minnesota. They're not going to forget that. They're going to count that against us. I think. Real quick, I, I just 
I'm not going to argue with you on that. But I, I know you're being hopeful, but you also said not likely to happen. You didn't say it's that. It's not likely to happen, but I, I also acknowledge the fact that the committee is not governed by the NCAA or right. by uh, the, the rules committee or whatever. If they choose to look at it's all about what they want, and that's kind of the problem with the system as it currently stands. And and like Mark Rogers has talked about, it's, it's not really a playoff. It's an invitational, and that is kind of an issue with the committee. But – on the plus side, if you're an Iowa fan, they could choose, Don, and call me hopeful if you want, they could choose to say, we believe this team is actually 12-1. and And we wouldn't normally say this, but given how they lost that game against Minnesota, given the fact that it did clearly cost them the game, that was the difference in the game, we're going to look at them as a 12-1 and football team. If they somehow beat Ohio State or Michigan, you know, I think that conversation is valid, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, we don't have to. We shouldn't worry about any of that, of course, because that's out of our control. We just need to focus on being a, a ten and two representative from from the West. I mentioned yesterday at Garden Club. I said I don't have any doubt uh, that we might be able to go with three losses to Indian, Indianapolis, but I don't want to do that because we owe we as a Western Division uh, football team owe it to the Big Ten to represent in the very best possible way. And that's to be 10 and two. So let's do that. Let's represent better. Let's not give anyone a chance to say that this big 10 championship game is a, is a formality. Let's not give them that opportunity. I don't want to show up with a nine and three team. We don't, we don't need to, we shouldn't have to, we have to still go out and win it, but we proved today we're more than capable of winning these next two games and being 10 and two and off to Indianapolis. How good is this defense, Don, comparing it to past Iowa defenses, specifically 2022? Well, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine that we could be as good as 2022 simply because of um, how highly thought of so many of those defensive players were, and we lost them. But the guys that have filled in have filled in so admirably. Is there anyone that thought that Jack Campbell's replacement might play so well that he – Seemed almost to be another Jack Campbell. You know, that's how well that's how well Jay's played this year. And frankly, Don, I don't know if who's better, Nick Jackson or Jay Higgins in different roles. I don't know which one's better, frankly. I think Nick Jackson's been phenomenal since he got his feet under him in, in mid-September. He has been really, really good. You're right. Number 10's been all over the place. Uh, he's made a lot of plays, and he's obviously really enthused about being here. I heard an interview as we were driving home about how happy he was to be part of this experience uh, at Iowa. So um, there's there's so many unsung heroes that are also in the lineup, and I'm talking about guys that maybe only play on specialty units too. Um, but a lot of unsung heroes that do start for us and that make a lot of plays, but maybe their job is more to tie up blockers. I'm talking about some of the defensive linemen, of course, uh, doing a good job of keeping those linebackers clean. That helps a lot, and um, and uh, I can't say enough about the offensive line today because I was concerned going in, and of course we lost Logan, I believe in the second quarter. Is that right? I think that's Logan Lee. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. On television, maybe I missed that. I didn't even uh, see it. I'm talking about Jones. He didn't play today, did he? He didn't play at all. I thought he started the game, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, maybe maybe he did, and I missed it. But you know, he didn't play. 
you know, last week it was Ellsbury taking snaps at center. So unless I missed that, but I just assumed Ellsbury was in all game. Maybe he was. The only reason I, I thought he played is that I heard um, Podolak say on the radio that he left the game in the second quarter. So I honestly don't know if he did or not. But the bottom line, we won the line of scrimmage today with our offense versus their defense. Our guys had a lot of room to run, and they ran hard. That's a great combination. How good, how much better was Deacon Hill tonight, Don? You talked about Brian Ferentz and this coaching staff putting him in a position to succeed, and you got to give the receivers credit for the most part, catching the catchable balls and even a couple of catches that were more difficult catches that were made. Um, I, I'm really high on Addison Estringa. That young man's going to be really good, kind of like how I felt about Sam Laporta when he was really young. But I'm just curious, how much better, in your opinion, Don, was uh, was Deacon Hill collectively as a quarterback, being a former quarterbacks guru like yourself? Yeah, of course, it's hard for me to say that without looking at the actual game tape. That's how a coach would want to do it, of course, is to study every play to the nth degree. Not able to do that. I just watched from the stands like our fans did. But uh, I give a lot of credit to Deacon and a lot of credit to Brian, too. Uh, and for that matter, I think you got to give credit to the entire offensive staff because I'm sure the other guys on the staff had input into the game plan. I thought our plan was better. It was more diversified. It had more imagination to it. And um, we did a great job on balance. Uh, incidentally, another factor, and I think you've already touched on it, let's give a lot of credit. I won't call it the 12th man. I'll call it the 12th person. But a lot of noise in that stadium. Um, crowd noise was a significant factor in that game. And um, if you don't believe me, just read up on, on what Rutgers had to say after the game. Uh, you know, false starts do matter. You know, because third and two is so much easier than third and seven. And um, they backed themselves up any number of times, of course, with those false starts. And it was all tied into crowd noise. Just curious, Don, uh, before we get to our, our next caller, Bill is uh, up next in our queue. Lomansky called earlier and wanted to know specifically about they're up 22-0, and I'm sure you're going to know the, the next question that comes out here. He wants to know why not go with Joe Labus or Marco Linez and get them on the field. Um, it doesn't hurt Marco Linez to play right now because you can play up to four games and conserve eligibility uh the other the flip side of this and i don't agree with this take okay i don't agree with this take in the chat i respect it but i don't agree with it he said this is our uh, salu kim in the chat says the starters deserve to finish the game it's more important than getting other players in i don't agree with that but don give me your take on the situation did you think about that at all when they were up 20 22 0 get the true freshman in the game well no in our history it didn't really cross my mind that we were going to do that say it that way but i do disagree with the, um, the person that posted that statement, uh, it does matter a lot. Uh, I don't know how many backups we got in the game there. Like you say, when it, I think we went up 22 nothing, and then the ball ended up in our hands. We were 22 on the previous, previous to the last possession. Is that right? I think that's right. Um, I think we made 22 with maybe six minutes left. We got the ball back and we burned up the clock. We had to drive down the field and do it, of course. But my point is that we were 22 nothing, and we had a chance to give any number of backups the last possession. And I do know we got people in like Weijin. Weijin got in the game some there toward the end. 
uh, I honestly didn't notice for sure about reserves at all kinds of positions. Obviously, we rotated all three of our top backs through, uh, and any number of any number of tight ends played, of course, because our one and two are out. But and, and they also didn't throw. Let's just make this clear: they also did not, in Kirk's defense, Brian's they didn't throw the ball a single time on that last drive. They ran Caleb Johnson one, two, three, four, five, six times, and then took a knee. So I'm not right. saying that would have been wasteless for or wasteful for bringing in Linez and having him hand the ball off, but it's not like you're taking shots on the field at 22-0 anyways. But I think the, vet, the the argument that the topic is still valid. Well, I would still argue that even uh, allowing Marco just to hand the ball off six times does have value. Sure. Just being able to huddle up out in the field and, and, and run the offense in terms of making the call and getting the break in plenty of time and surveying the defense and, and handling the snap. Those things do have some value to it. So, yeah, looking back, I wish we would have done that, absolutely. Uh, and I understand the argument that the starters deserve to be out there for the end, but let's not forget, this is the way we should be doing business all the time. And if that's the case, starters understand we've done our job, done it well. Now that now the backups have a chance to get in and finish up. So let's celebrate the fact that they, they get to play in the game, too. All right, let's go to our Iowa Smokehouse. Uh, before we go to our Iowa Smokehouse call online, one more thing. I want to make sure we give uh, our sponsors their their due this afternoon or this, say this evening now, you know, the 7 o'clock hour. RTI Threads, Cooper DeGene, superstar on this team, and they've got uh, all of Cooper DeGene's merchandise, including the It Wasn't a Fair Catch shirt, which is uh, I know, been real hot off the shelves this week. Don, so uh, certainly check it out. CD3LacesUp.com and RTIThreads.com. They've got a full line of apparel from some of Iowa's uh, current stars and future stars, including Zach Lutmer, Carson Shire, as we mentioned, Aaron Graves and Cooper DeGene. Aiden Hall, also part of that roster and their roster. Their NIL roster continues to grow and expand to different sports. RTIThreads.com and CD3LacesUp.com. Let's go back to our Iowa Smokehouse call in line. Bill is on the line. Bill, welcome to the show. Um, Don, am I, am I frozen yeah. or what's happening? Earth to Bill. Bill. Earth to Bill. 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 Uh, well, um, Bill is not. Uh, Bill, please tell us. There are he you is. Okay, Bill? Are you having a, no, it's okay. I just want, you're not having a medical emergency, are you, Bill? No, I was watching the OU game. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure. You just you weren't responding to us. I just didn't want to have to call medics, so we're, we're good. Welcome to the show, sir. Uh, great. I appreciate your show a lot. Watch it every week. And this is thank the first time I've been on chat, so thank you. I appreciate you calling in. Um, I don't really have anything to say except go Hawks. I mean, go Hawks. I'm an Iowa, Iowa graduate and a former okay. faculty member at OU, so I'm a Sooner Hawk. You're a Sooner Hawk, and uh, uh, I'm assuming you're a big Bob Stoops fan, then. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, Bill, you got to be a Drake Stoops fan also. Uh, yes. <laughs> so well, thank, you, thank you for putting me on. I'm sorry I don't have much to contribute here. No, you're fine. We appreciate you, uh, uh, we appreciate you being a part of the show. All right. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Bill just wanted to check in with us, Don. So appreciate Bill 
uh, checking in with us, and uh, he is watching the OU Sooners right now. What is the score of that game? I guess I can pull that up. Uh, James, uh, let me make sure we got we got James in the chat. Uh, thank you to Mike, Mike Rooney with the uh, Venmo donation. He says, thanks, Corey, for all you do for the fans of the Hawks. Way to go, Phil. Defensive shutout. All the scoring today by the Hawks almost made me dizzy. Hopefully this gives our kids on offense a little more confidence. Keep doing your thing, Corey. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. And, uh, man, Don, I mentioned this earlier to Alex. Iowa, I believe, I, I just went off of the box score, but I counted up the numbers, and I believe Iowa, mm-hmm. am I correct in saying 76 offensive snaps for Iowa today? Unbelievable. I mean, how? what's, what's a proficient offense? I mean, I don't know if you ever – rate proficiency based on how many snaps a team takes. But obviously, you, you dominate time of possession, you're going to win that category as well. So what would be the ideal number of snaps for an offense to take? Well, I think if you can consistently score 70 times, that's pretty good. Uh, now that the timing rule changed a little bit, 70 is an even, even loftier goal than it was a year ago. Uh, I think the typical game nowadays maybe has no more than 130 snaps. And, of course, if you're above average, then you're something above 65. So to be in the 70s is going to give you – probably going to give you time of possession in your favor. Uh, obviously, it indicates that the defense is doing a good job of getting off the field. And offensively, you're doing a decent job of staying on the field. Probably ties into third down conversions. I don't doubt that we won that today, too. Uh, third down, I, I had that set for you, Don. Uh, Iowa on third downs today, um, they were – you're much more efficient with looking at, at box scores. 9 of 18, Don. 9 of 18 compared to 2 of 11 for Rutgers. And if you count in fourth downs, which is what you do because, uh, right, we're talking uh, critical downs, Iowa would have been 11 of 20. From, wow. uh, those are winning numbers, Don. I'll tell you this, and I, I even mentioned it uh, in, in conversation with Kirk. Uh, one of the things I did in preparation for this game, I looked at Rutgers' six games that they played, and I simply looked at all the parameters, 25 parameters in all six of those games, and what I was hoping is that the team that won a specific parameter ended up 6-0. and uh, Which parameters guaranteed were identified with the winner in all six games? As you know, they were 3-3. Three and three, but they did have good losses, such as Michigan, Ohio State. They played them both already, right? And uh, Michigan, I believe they played Michigan. Or maybe last week. Can't remember. I think they played two of them already, and I think they have Penn State up ahead. I think. Whatever they played two. So my my point was: Are there any parameters that have been a hundred percent reliable in identifying the winner in their six games? There were two parameters that did that. One of them I thought was really important, and that that was simply every starting field position. So Kirk and I were certainly in agreement. We need to win that parameter because that's one that we like to win also. Matter of fact, in our six games, every starting field position was identified as the winning team five out of six games. The only exception was that, that dreaded Penn State loss. We barely beat them on field position that night. We beat them by 1.4 yards, just to give an example. The bad news, that was the only parameter among the top 15 that we won in that game. So, obviously, you got to do a lot more than just win on field position. It was such a goofy game. They were kicking to us, which meant we always got to start on the 25. 
how many kicks did they have? Four or five kicks. Uh, and at the same time, after starting on the 25, if we made a first down or two, when we punted the ball, they ended up starting on the minus 10, minus 15 a lot of the time. So in the end, we had better field position. Didn't do us any good, of course, because they more than overcame that with the way they dominated us uh, with offense-defense. So um, uh, Kirk understood we, we absolutely have to win on field position. I'm confident we did, of course. And then beyond that, um, the, the thing that shocked me, too, the other parameter they identified the winner every time was critical downs. And I said, here's the good news, Kirk. Uh, we've won any number of games this year when we lost on critical downs. So even though it, it ties into winning, if you're if you're looking at regular six games, we can beat them too without winning on on critical downs. Well, we we smoked them on critical downs also, so we even got that done. Is it any wonder that we won the game? Um, so the things that mattered the most were things that we won. All right, folks, uh, we're going to now welcome in HawkeyeReport.com's own Tom Kakert joining the show. Tom, welcome. Gentlemen, how are we? We're doing good, Tom. How Hi, Tom. are you? I'm good. How are you, Coach? Could be much better. Yeah, it's a good, Tom, good, uh, a good. good day for the for the Iowa football program, and um, you know, dare I say, the offense looks decent. If someone uh, would, would have told you, Tom, we're gonna. We're going to outgain them three to one. You would not have believed that, would you? I would not have believed 400 yards was in uh, on total offense. The first time they've done that since the Maryland game at Maryland a couple years ago that they've gotten <laughs> over 400 yards of total offense. First time this season that they've had a 200-yard passer. So um, right. a lot of positives for the – and given – where the Iowa offensive line was going into this week with three guys that left the game last week, Logan Jones out uh, fairly quickly today and kind of shuttling some guys in on um, the guard position. Uh, and, and, you know, Deontay Vines, one of their better receivers, uh, didn't play. Uh, given all of those things and all the hits they've taken at tight end, um, I'm really impressed with what they were able to do. And, and this Rutgers defense is pretty solid. It, it is not a bad defensive team. If you look at their, their numbers going into this week, um, they were on par, at least, you know, rush defense, pass defense, turnovers, sacks, all those things with the Iowa defense this year. So um, this was a salty group and Iowa found something. And it's, it's, it's strange. I almost think that that, drive that resulted in the interception at the end of the first half may have given them the confidence going into the second half that they, Hey, we could throw the ball a little bit. We can run the, uh, we can, we can move the ball in the air and what Deacon Deacon looks like a decent quarterback today. And that's, that's a positive step in, in the right direction. Absolutely. A lot of positive. Deacon played his best game. Obviously Caleb was impressive. Uh, that was his coming out party. Um, you know, what was neat about the offense numbers, we outrushed them by 100 yards and we outpassed them by 100 yards, both of them, more than 100, of course. And um, and let's give a lot of credit to our defense again. 
Uh, I didn't think they were averaging about 150 yards a game in conference play, rushing the football. We held them to what, 34 or something? I don't know if they ever made it to 40. Yeah, 34 yards. And uh, Monogahy, uh, their their running back, was leading the Big Ten in rushing, and I think he had over 150 against Ohio State last week. And Iowa holds him to 39 yards rushing today, only three yards a carry. I mean, that's impressive uh, that they were able to do that. You know what made it more impressive is we didn't compromise our coverage to do that. We still played Iowa defense. You know, you didn't see us loading the box. We didn't have to. We did have a safety down a lot of the time. He was typically spinning down late. So we had a, we had one of our safeties that was headed downhill on the snap. That's true. Uh, but truthfully, our safety didn't make that many tackles because the, the front seven made so many of them. Hey, you, know, you want to know the funny thing I heard today? I was, I was uh, got down to the field towards the end of the game, and I'm walking by the stands, and uh, a couple of fans started chanting, rehire Brian. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, let's open up that can uh, two weeks in, uh, Tom. <laughs> well, right now, right I now, just, I, I thought I, it was funny. I thought it was funny. It is funny. That's pretty I, funny. I, 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 do recall, I do recall recall what happened the week after we smoked Ohio State. We yeah. went to Wisconsin and laid a huge egg. 66 so yards I, of total offense, Coach. Yeah, I am thankful that our next reason, game is – and the only reason Iowa scored any points that day was because Josh Jackson picked off two passes and re- returned them for scores. Yeah, I vividly do remember we had 14 points and 14 yards of total offense at the same time. It was in yep. the middle of the third quarter. Now we should <laughs> we should uh, we should add in the asterisk here that you know that there's a big difference in responding after a big win like that going on the road to Madison. You know, as opposed to staying home against an Illini team that's not very hey, good. Hey, uh, but we also saw it last year, and I, I, I think this will be something maybe that they talk about because last year, um, going to that final home game, Iowa had a chance to clinch a trip to Indianapolis, and um, you know, they didn't do it. They didn't get it to get the job done, and now they have. One year later. There are two games up on everybody else. All they got to do is win one more of the last two games, and they punch their ticket to Indianapolis. So, um, yeah, they've they've got opportunity knocking, uh, and I, I know these guys would. I mean, that's the way you want to go out, right? You want to last home game, lock up a a Big Ten West championship, the final Big Ten West championship too, because it will no longer exist after after this year. And uh, it, it's it's right there for the taking. And Tom, one of our callers earlier wanted me to ask you that specific question because I'm sure, sure you looked at this closer than I have. West scenarios, are you saying that if Iowa wins either or, regardless of what the rest of the conference does, if yep. they win either or, they're in? Yeah, there are two games up on everybody right now. Everybody else has got four losses. Iowa's only got two. So um, it is it is right there. It's They can... They can uh, <laughs> It, it's it's wild to think about. Um, uh, you know, one of the funnier moments in the press conference today was, um, at least for me, and, and Coach Patterson will appreciate this because he was talking about um, Deacon Hill's car. 
Apparently, Deacon's got a little bit of a jalopy, uh, a little bit of a worn-out car, and uh, he he made reference to in, it might need a trip to Earl Scheib. And Coach Patterson will know who Earl Scheib is. Uh, Corey probably has no idea who Earl Scheib Earl, is. Earl Scheib. Now, maybe I'm confusing it. Tell me what Earl Scheib is, Don. Earl, Earl Scheib. Go ahead, Tom. It's a it's a place where you used to go get your car painted. Okay. You do it for ninety nine ninety five. Yeah, just need a paint job. Don't need a need a so new that, engine. That reference that that reference was most certainly from Kirk, not from Deacon. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it was from Kirk <laughs> about Deacon's car. Okay. Yes. And, okay. and I knew Co I knew Coach Patterson would appreciate the Earl Shy reference because all of us have have uh, drove cars back in the day that were um, that were junk and uh, could have used a trip to Earl Shy. Yeah, here's a question. Is Earl Scheib still in business? I don't know. I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know. But don't believe so? Don't if Corey's never heard of Earl Scheib, that's a good indication. They well, may I, not may I not be in business. First, but, uh, or, or, so how long ago would that have been? Would that have been like when Kirk was growing up, or was that more recent? Oh, that? no, it was when I was growing up. Kirk's older than me, okay. so it was, uh, you know, when I was a teen. Yeah, there used to be Earl Scheibs uh, all over the place. It was a chain. So, you know? Not, not to move on from the Earl Scheib. Yeah, let's move on from Earl Scheib. I do want to ask you about Deontay Vines. You mentioned he's out. So, yeah. next man in at receiver, right? Yep. Uh, I'll just say what everybody's thinking. Caleb Brown looked better than Deontay Vines has all year. Um, yes. Now. Uh, I think I, he's earned, earned the opportunity now. So, do you think, it, it, will Deontay Vines be back? Do you anticipate him being back here in the last month of the season? Um. I don't know what his injury was. We didn't really ask Kirk about um, about those those guys. We had just so many other things to ask him about, so uh, we didn't really do an injury update with him. But it sounds like he's going to get Logan Jones back. Logan went out there, tried to give it a go tonight, and lasted, I think, a series, and then he was done. And Ellsbury was in there. Um, John, you got a good yeah. eye because nobody else. I I know people in the chat said Logan Jones didn't play today. I didn't see him play today. You did, so he did. He started. Yeah, I thought started. I saw him out there the, with the first yep. possession. First possession, and then he just couldn't get, couldn't go, and so they just, uh, yeah, they they got him out of there, and he was done done for the day. I'm looking on here. Yeah, they the the starting line was um, uh, Nick DeYoung, Logan Jones, Dunker, Colby, Richmond. So, um, and we saw Rusty Feth out there a little bit, so he was he was in there a good amount today. Uh, so we, he was another one of the injured guys too. Need Piper as well. I did not see him in there, oh. but I see he was listed in there. So maybe he's he in there at some point. Yeah, he was mentioned by the BTN crew, um, and I believe it left guard. I never saw him, but it, but the name was brought up. So unless it was a misread of a number, um, it was. He's noted. listed in the participation uh, list. So I don't know when he got out there. I didn't see him, but. It doesn't mean he didn't go out there. I'm not checking the O line every play. Can we just, Tom? Can we? He's an example. I mean, this is. Let me make sure everybody knows this. He got here in the summer. Yeah. When he he was a late commit. What did he commit? Was he like 230 pounds when he committed, Tom? Yeah, was he was not very big, but he could throw the shot put a long way. Uh, wow. I always enjoy watching him. You know that that video of him throwing it a shot put basically almost into the woods. Um. But yeah, he's 
he's a guy that they really like. Uh, we talked to uh, Jennings Dunker about him on Tuesday, and he was singing his praises about how just he's a tough kid, and uh, he's one of those farm kids that just has that that uh, farm boy strength, is uh, is how I like to call it, where he can just move things and do things that uh, just based on uh, being raised on a farm and and throwing hay bales and those sorts of things. So, uh, yeah. And let, let's give a shout out to another uh, freshman who made a huge play, super explosive play today in Zach Ortworth. Don, you're Zach a former Ortworth. tight ends coach. Uh, talk about that play. I wanted to, to bring this up later in the show. Anyways, we might as well address it now. Um, explain what happened. I know you haven't watched the game back on film, but explain the call there. Cause obviously when it, when it works out the way it did to an unheralded guy like Ortworth, you're thinking great execution, but Great play call from Brian Ferentz. Talk about that play. Well, I did hear Shano mention that they busted the coverage there, he said. But I have to admit, as the play unfolded, I thought, how did he get so open? And it occurred to me, this is um, um, what could be done, and I wondered if maybe that's what we did. Think about this. Could you actually line up a tight end where the left tackle normally lines up next to the guard? and put the tackle in on the other side of the formation. In other words, have to have tackles beside each other on the right side and have the tight end sneakily line up as the left tackle. Well, he's, if he's the end man of the line, he's still the eligible receiver, right? And I, I wondered, did they do that? How did he get so open? Uh, I'm still not sure if they did it or not. If they did it, I didn't catch it at the time. Of course, I'm I wouldn't. Not, I'm not about to, to break down formation football what i can tell you is addison Estringa was lined up as a fullback and as he kind of went up and out what for maybe five yards up and out uh both defenders followed him and yep zach ortworth leaked and he was lined up on the left side of the line. i just don't know if he was outside the left tackle or if they lined him up yeah i would imagine he was in a normal traditional position in other words lined up next to the left tackle not the left guard but it did make me wonder he got so open was that what we would refer to as a hide play? Did you hide the tight end where the left tackle normally is and release him down the field? I don't think they did that, but it made me wonder he was so open. Makes more sense, Corey, what you said. You got two tight ends releasing vertically pretty much at just a few yards apart. Uh, the, the outside receiver among those two breaks outside the, the, deep, the inside safety rim with him and left the seam for the, for the other tight end. That's probably what happened. In um, other words, it, it was actually a, a trip formation at that point. Go ahead, Tom. Um, Deacon talked about Ortworth uh, on that play, and he go, He said, I could see his eyes, and his eyes were gigantic when that ball was coming towards him because he was like, oh, no, here it comes, and I'm open, and I well, got to catch just, it. Oh, great throw. I'm just, I was going to say, I'm just thrilled that we – did not overthrow that open tight end down the down the field. You might recall a couple of other passes in the game were overthrown. And here's the reality. Um, they had decent coverage, I think, both times. But the, the DB was in a trail position. And, um, in other words, the guy with the best chance to catch the overthrown ball was our receiver. My only point is if you just take a little bit off that throw, worst-case scenario, the receiver has to gear down waiting on the ball. It's a little bit short. In the meantime, of course, the DB that's trying to give chase and catch up runs into him. Now the, the flag flies. Maybe you catch it anyway and you can deny the penalty. But at the worst, you get the you get the DPI. 
I've been uh, big on Addison Estringa for quite a while, and he's our RTI Threads player of the game. Just, you know, 47 yards, but eight receptions. And he finally looked like, I mean, he, he has turned into the safety blanket for Deacon Hill, and rightfully so. Tom, we haven't really uh-huh. talked about his connection with Deacon Hill, but I'm guessing that those two got a lot of chemistry built when Deacon was QB2. And, yeah. you know, Addison's really come along as well, a guy who was completely unheralded and uh-huh. comes out of Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, and works his way into some playing time as a freshman. Now he's the number one tight end. I don't know if you have any update on Steven Stilianos, but oh. man, Pascuzzi, Stilianos, and now Ortworth, they just uh, next man in is is certainly true at that position. And there was a point where he kind of limped off where um, Astringa did. And I was a little worried. I was like, oh, my gosh, they're, they can't afford to leak any more oil. Yeah, and, I do recall uh, seeing, seeing Stelianos on the sideline. He was not dressed for the game either. No, he was not dressed. So, um, But but Astringa limped off a little bit uh, during the game today. And I was a little bit worried about that. But um, fun fact about Ostringa was he is uh, a former Iowa baseball commit. He was committed first to play baseball for the Hawkeyes and um, came to camp, earned the offer, and uh, decided he was going to play football. And I think that's going to probably pay off for him because I would think that eventually he's going to develop into a potential um, NFL player like a lot of Iowa tight ends. So um, he's... He's got a good chemistry going on that little rollout pass that he and Deacon seem to be uh, finding each other a lot. And it's not a big gainer at this point, but it's chipping away at, you know, five to 10 yards of completion. And uh, for the Iowa offense, that's kind of what they need. Uh, real quick, I want to acknowledge a super chat. And then yeah. I got like one or two more questions for you, Tom. I know you got to get going. Scott says yeah. this channel is a really great way to enjoy the season. Coach Don is an amazing analyst. So happy for all the fans and team getting to. Uh, eight and two. Watch out for Illinois. Paddock is a good QB. Put up big numbers today in their overtime win against the Hoosiers. Thank you, Scott, for the super chat. But um, Tom, you've been covering this program for so long. Who do you credit primarily for the consistent output of tight end talent? And and let me par- let me preface your answer by saying this: Brian Ferentz, in my mind, deserves credit. Um, but Kirk Ferentz deserves credit. I would assume you would have to give credit to people like Kenny O'Keefe and Greg Davis, even during the short stint he was here. Huh? They've been consistent throughout. And I'm trying to think, um, Reese Morgan, did he coach tight ends briefly? Reese did. Uh, LeVar did. LeVar did. So who, who's? how do they continue to do this regardless of who the position coach is? It's the offense. And it's also the tradition. And that tradition goes back to when Don Patterson was was the offensive coordinator at Iowa and when when Bill Snyder was the offensive coordinator at Iowa, where um, Iowa has a tradition and they feature tight ends. That goes back to Marv Cook and Alan Cross and, um, you know, Scott Slutsker and, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, Jonathan Hayes. Um, Don, I'm forgetting some of them, but I'm rattling them off. And uh, but. Some there was you know, great right, players. players. Let me share this with both of you. Um, to Bill Snyder's credit, uh, back in the early 80s, um, Bill said, Don, I know you want your tight ends to be as involved as possible in the passing game. And to that end, I'm going to ask you every week to come up with different ways in which to involve the tight ends uh, within the, the passing game. And 
that's part of your job description. So please take it seriously. And I did. And we did come up with a lot of good ways to distribute the ball to the tight ends. Uh, and it all started way back in the eighties. You're right. Um, Jim Swift was on our very first football team and he was a good tight end too. Yep. And then of course, John Hayes came along next and then Murph Cook. And then let's not forget about Al Cross because Al could run, run and catch too. How can anybody yep. forget 76 Y hot against Ohio State? Ohio State, yeah. Ohio yeah. State, 1991. Yeah. And um, I appreciated so much. Coach Vermeil did that game. And when we ran the play, he said that is a classic example of one coaching staff outsmarting the other coaching staff. And I appreciated him for telling the truth and saying that because we were the ones that were on the on the good end of that play. Jack, hey, John, I might have been able to score on that play, by the way. I may have been able to catch I remember Zobel's comment. He's open by 25 miles. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now, Jack, appreciate the super chat here. And he wants to know, Tom, uh, what did Kirk say about uh, shutting down Manongai, leading rusher in the Big uh, Ten of this game? Yeah, just that it was a group effort, um, just that they really got after it and, you know, took on the challenge and just played solid defense. And um, I, I know uh, Jay Higgins was talking about how hard Manangi uh, hit everybody on just, he was a hard runner. And um, I always echo back to what um, Iowa players used to tell me about trying to tackle like Sean Green and practice where it hurt them uh, to, uh, to tackle him in practice. So, um, you know, they just, and, and, and frankly, I thought Rutgers went away from him way too early it was weird but he was on the injured list he was on the questionable list so maybe it was some management there with with him being maybe a little dinged up um but well, i was, was also he also collided with an iowa defender uh who was it that yeah. he, that it, he was down for monongo was down for a while i don't remember who he who he met yeah it might have been no, it was xavier wampa. i'm sorry it was xavier wampa okay Wampa okay. got away with a little bit of a taunt after that play, but Menongai was was down for a while. So I wonder, just 13 carries on the day. Yeah, and I was also surprised that Wimsett did not um, was not as mobile, and they didn't use his legs as much as I thought they would. I thought he was going to be a a terrorist terrorizing uh, uh, the Iowa defense on third downs, just rolling out. And well, then that is precisely what I was going to mention. This part yeah. shocked me as I was prepping for the game. I couldn't help. Think about this. If you look at conference games only, the number two rusher in the conference was Manangai, but here's the part that shocked me. Guess who was the number 11 rusher in the conference? It was Wimson. So I'm thinking, yeah. um, and, you know, so often it, he did a good job of carrying out fakes even, and I, I was thinking, why in God's name? A couple of times they did run him on kind of the equivalent of QB power. You know, they just took the ball and let the back lead for him and, they made a few yards with it, but there was no deception involved. I swear if they would have just simply asked him to keep off some of those run fakes, uh, he would have made good yardage, I think. Somewhere in the game he would have because that's what he did on so many occasions. He handed the ball off and carried out the fake. He did a good job carrying out the fake, but he never had the ball. Yeah. Yep. Um, it, it, was like, it was like they were trying to protect him or something. I don't know. Last thing for me, Tom, and then if, if Don, you have anything else for, for Mr. Caker before he leaves, uh, that's fine. But Caleb Brown's emergence, I mean, we talked about a little bit earlier with Deontay Vines being out. Mm -hmm. But I, I've seen some people on the chat. Where has this been? 
Where do, what do you detect has been the issue or the slowness getting him going? Has it just been a maturation thing or have there been some yeah. off-field stuff that hasn't been widely talked about? Yeah, I think there's just been some maturity development, but also just some struggles with the Iowa offense. There was no receivers catching the ball other than tight ends for the first, you know, five weeks of the season, really, at any high level. I mean, you had a an occasional um you know, Seth Anderson or Vines on the sidelines or or whatever. But I don't think you've had a lot of a lot of wide receivers. So maybe there's just some something bubbling up here and um we'll see. I see Jason asking, is Lachey expected back for bowl game? Maybe. Uh, I think the door is open and that's why they keep listening to him on the uh injury report is because I think they're hopeful um, I, I did talk to Cade McNamara today before the game. He was uh, back after he had his ACL repair, and he's just about he could he could mo- he could move around without crutches, but he's still on crutches. But he he was like I could I don't really need him anymore. So I think his rehab process and and his surgery and everything went well. So um, good news is he's back. Yeah, he was he was on the bench and sidelines, and he was down there. Um, you know, talking to Deacon a lot. And um, Deacon did give credit to Cade, gave credit to Spencer Petrus as well for helping him out um, as he's kind of tried to navigate being a starter at the uh, the uh, college level. And uh, real quick, I know I said last question, but my last yeah. question, and then Don, I'll sure. throw it to you. Theoretically, playing in a, a candy land, as we like to do here on the show at times, <laughs> if somehow Iowa wins out, and somehow wins in the Big Ten Championship game in an impressive fashion. Yep. Do you foresee any scenario, like if they beat, I know this is, we can't even foresee this, but they somehow beat Michigan like 30 to 7. Is there any way the playoff committee says, we don't normally do this, but man, 12 and 1 Big Ten champion would get in, and we just have to look at that call against Minnesota and put this Iowa team in a 14 playoff? Any chance that happens in your mind? Depends on what's going on around the country. Really, it does. I mean, if you've know if you got three undefeateds and then you've got a one-loss Texas and a one-loss Oregon or something like that, then it's hard to put them in. It just is. Um, yeah. Those other schools have, have a better resume. So, But if there's some upsets and, you know, you, you maybe a two-loss team versus, you know, a one loss team here or whatever, maybe the conversation is had, but uh, let's get to that bridge when we can, when we get there. Right. You know, we'll see if uh, you got to win, got to win next week uh, to, to make this possible and then win the next week to make that possible. And then, you know, it's, it's like the old, the old saying in poker, when you get to Indianapolis, it's a chip in a chair, right. Where you're um, as long as you're, you got to change. The only way you have a chance to win is if you're invited to the game. So yep. just go and you just, you got the chip in the chair and you got a chance and we'll see what happens. Tom Caker at HawkerReport.com. Don, anything else for Tom before we let him slide? Can't think of anything. Tom, you're okay. always really helpful. Hey, yep. thanks, coach. Thanks, Corey. Um, and uh, we'll, we will, uh, we'll talk to you, Corey. Maybe we'll, we'll catch up uh, after the uh, Creighton game on Tuesday night. We've got basketball ahead. Thank you, sir. Yep. Thanks. Appreciate Tom Caker at HawkeyeReport.com. Definitely check out the uh, uh, Hawkeye Home on On3's network of sites. 
And uh, we've got a number of people who have been waiting very patiently on hold. So we're going to get to absolutely everybody in just a second. Um, do want to take a moment to acknowledge our RTI Threads player of the game. And Don, I had a hard time as I'm coming through the stat line. Who do I go with? Um, very balanced statistically throughout uh, the defense. And um, I would say because each level of defense played pretty well. I thought the defensive line was active. Gavin is a Wimstead is a hard guy to to get home on because he is mobile. Uh, he certainly didn't play great, but uh, you don't see a ton of linebacker tackles and you certainly don't see a ton of uh, DB tackles in this game. And it also helps that the offense was on the field a little bit more. Then you look right. at the offensive side of things. Who do you go with? Um, I just thought Addison, his help and not only staying even and on time with the chains, but moving the chains in short yardage situations, those 47 yards and eight receptions was huge, especially for a young guy who is not used to being tight end one. Right. And I think a lot of those running plays, let's give the tight end position a little bit of credit for doing their job because we consistently picked up four yards or more on any number of running plays. All right. Let's uh, we'll go back to our uh, Iowa Smokehouse call in line. Thank you for calling Iowa post game with coach Don Patterson. Who's on the line. Hey, Trent, how are you? Good. How are you, Corey? Doing good, sir. Good. Uh, I'm going to make this quick. I just have a few comments. I guess I'm going to make, I haven't been able to watch the show since I've been on hold, but uh, I hope they continue to utilize uh, Caleb Brown like they did tonight. I think that all, but uh, ensures he's probably going to be here next year, whether it's by design or by default, I really don't care. We just got to keep that kid here. I agree. I agree. Um, I, I, would hope that Cade McNamara, given what he did as a transfer portal poll this past offseason, the fact that he's announced he's coming back, he's going to be, especially since he's limited with what he can do physically, he's really going to be working the portal again like he did last year. And that, that starts with the guys on the roster who you got to retain. Right. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to fly through this, Corey. Um, then. Uh... Next, I'm just going to say I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Brian Ferentz, he called a great game tonight. I mean, let's not – that Rutgers defense is nothing to laugh at. I mean, what, what he did tonight is – and we've seen it in glimpses, right? I mean, uh, but I'm going to give him credit tonight. He he did what he had to do. It was, that was a great game. Don, would you agree Would you agree with that, Don? Great, great game called by Brian Ferentz? Well, it was certainly his best game of the season. I would say that. I hesitate to use the word great. You know, I think that gets thrown around a little too often. But certainly he called an excellent game, no doubt about that. And uh, he did have something to do with our success. We gave our quarterback a better chance to make more routine plays, and he, he did that. And uh, that was good to see. And, and of course, as I mentioned already, we did a good job of keeping him off balance. We had a better mix of run and pass. And um, – they didn't know what to do about it. You know, the misdirection passes really did help out. All right. Then the last thing I think. Uh, so after this game was over and I really just take a step back as an Iowa fan and I look at, uh, I've been uh, critical of Kirk over the years. Um, I think a lot of Iowa people have probably, right? 
uh, what I'm going to say is this. When <laughs> your head coach is going to pass Bo Schembechler at some point this season, whether it's next week, the week after, what, whatever the case may be, um, I think as Iowa fans, we got to take a, take a step back and realize that uh, we have uh, – Last 50 years, we've been truly blessed. Um, I was not your blue blood program. It's it's not Ohio State and it's not Michigan. Um, what Hayden did, and then what Kirk continued to do, is uh, really nothing short than just a uh, tremendous coaching job. And uh, I uh, <laughs> I really I. I guess I don't know what to say. You know, you, you, I just took a step back tonight. And when you start putting all those numbers into perspective, uh, we're truly blessed to be Iowa fans. Uh, I think the knock always has been that under Kirk, we just haven't had that offense. You know, I, I, there's years where probably we are national con- title contenders with a good offense. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I just feel blessed, guys. Uh, I thank you both again for everything you guys do. Uh, keep up the good work, and yeah, go Hawks. Thank you, Trent. Appreciate the phone call, sir. Well, I agree with everything Trent everything just said, Don, really and do, uh, 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 you know, frankly, uh, if you look at uh, the track record for Kirk Ferentz in the last five to ten years, despite the fact that we're you know, 15 to 24 years into his tenure, um, they are winning a lot of games. And uh, a lot of coaches, when they get into the latter years after 20-some years at the helm, uh, those numbers begin to dip. And and perhaps like a Bobby Bowden situation, uh, a guy kind of overstays his welcome a little bit. Um, and, you know, obviously we're not to the end of the Kirk Ferentz era, but it is impressive that in spite of the struggles on offense that they have continued to win ball games and, um even with the change in how football is played with an emphasis on, you know, spreading your opponent out and, and uh, scoring a lot of points, Iowa still wins games. They've done it a different way than almost anybody else. Uh, Doug with the super chat, Phil Parker, not to win the Broyles award would be wrong. Oh, I would agree with that. How many Broyles awards has he won? Do you know, Don? I don't. I I I would agree. How do you give that to anybody else? Uh, Lemansky, think Nebraska played three quarterbacks today. Uh, I did see that uh, Chubba Purdy was one of those quarterbacks that played. And Leon, appreciate that, Lemansky. Leon says, O-line had its best day, especially pass blocking. We definitely agree with that. Let's go back to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game with Coach Don Patterson. Who's on the line? Hey, Corey, Don, it's Kyle. Hey, Kyle. I got you doing that. I said, how are you guys doing tonight? He wants to know how you're doing, Don. How are you doing? It's all good. It's all good all tonight. In the neighborhood, Kyle. All right. Well, I'm, I mean, it was really like a good second half to watch. First half was same as always, but I really like how they came out. Played really good football to the end of the second half and actually gave us something to cheer about. Absolutely. Were you at the game, and, uh, Kyle? 
Was I at the game? Yeah, were you there? No, I wasn't, but I'll be at the game next week. Okay. Senior day. Amen. And I was watching the game with my family. We were pretty excited to see Quinn Schultz's interception. Like, we know him. I, I know him since high school. I mean, since second grade and good friends. And I was really excited to see him yeah. pull, uh, get one, and hope, hopefully, I was hopefully had a pick six. But let, Let's talk about Quinn Schulte real quick, Don, because I was impressed with that play simply because it's another example of how Iowa, we always hear about how Iowa DBs are not just taught to catch the football that comes their way, but as soon as one of their teammates catches a football, they go into blocking mode. And it's always just, it's artistry to watch. And that play was so well blocked by the defensive players once that interception occurred, nearly uh, returned it to the house. You're exactly right. He, he, he was the beneficiary of any number of teammates with blocking, uh, some blocking success. And he didn't score, but he came close to it, that's for sure. Anything else, Kyle? Oh, uh, one thing, one more thing to add. Like watching the post game interview, he's Kirk said possibly could hand retirement at the end of the season. I think we should keep an eye on that. I mean, I keep an eye on it since the Brian Ferentz thing. Well, I don't know what. First of all, I don't know what he. I, I I heard the interview. I don't. I doubt he said anything in the press conference. I didn't ask Tom about it because Tom wasn't watching the TV broadcast, but. Uh, Kirk did make a comment to uh, the sideline reporter for BTN after the game, Don. Something about, we, we don't talk about retirement. She asked a question about the Big Ten title, the Big Ten West title. He responded with something to the extent of, you know, we're, we're worried about one game at a time. We're not talking about retirement. All that's all. Those are all off-season things. It was a little odd that he brought that up, but it has been questioned. He, it's been brought up to him over the last couple of weeks. I don't think you read too far into that, but I do see some people in the chat uh, wondering about should we read into Kirk being the one to bring it up during his post-game interview with Big Ten Network? I haven't heard the interview, so I don't know exactly in what context he said it. Um, would it shock me if we if we win the West and especially show up well uh, at Indianapolis? Would it shock me if he decided that would be a good time to call it quits? It wouldn't shock me, no. Uh, because you always want to feel good about how you finish. And at that point, you might even argue that maybe this is Kirk's best job ever. With all the injuries we've had, You might there's certainly an argument to say that he's never coached better than what he has this year. Anything else, Kyle? Uh, uh, you guys going to be at the game next week for senior day? Don will. I don't know about me. Probably not. Yes, I will. All right. All right, I'll be there rocking the Quinn Schulte jersey for him, pouring him, and hopefully he plays well. And that's all I got. Keep up the good work. Talk to you next time. Rock on, brother. All right. Um, Leon with the Super Chat. We already discussed this. Thank you, Leon. Appreciate that. And Lemansky, move aside Bo in Michigan. Here come the Hawkeye coaches breaking your records. Smile, Don Patterson. Smile. There you go. There's the smile. <laughs> Now, what what did uh, w- somebody made a comment a while back that every time Don Patterson smiles, a kitten is born? Now, is that true? You know, I don't think that's been proven, but <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Eric with the super chat, he says, uh, "Hats off to the O line; they played their best game so far. Good game for Bacon Hill. Way to sizzle, 
way to sizzle bacon. Uh, KH, thank you for that uh, super chat, Eric. KH says, how many backup offensive linemen played tonight? Well, it sounds like Cade Piper played a little bit. Tyler Ellsbury's playing a lot with Logan Jones out with an injury. And we're seeing a rotation of guys. Obviously, Mason Richmond's really important, as is Jennings Dunker. But we're seeing guys like Connor Colby, Rusty Feth playing through injury. And uh, I believe they're still down Nick DeYoung right now, Don. I don't believe 56 got in the game tonight. Uh, Bo Stevens is still out as well. Um, but, uh, you know, they've used eight linemen this year. I and- thought I saw DeYoung on the field. Maybe not, but I thought I saw 56 out there. He's not listed as a participant. Well, we're going to find out, aren't we? So uh, let's see. Uh, no. Um Maybe you were. Maybe you saw Cade Piper. Cade Piper's fifty-eight. That could he, be. Did up, he did line up at guard. Uh, Fifty-six, not not listed on here. Okay. So, um, and just a couple other notes. I know people care about this stuff. True freshman that played again today. We mentioned Zach Ortworth um, and uh, Aaron, or excuse me, um, Cade Piper. John Nestor, the Chicago native and DB. He also saw the field this evening. So. Um, good to see him get some time. I know the coaching staff has been impressed with his development early on. And let's not forget, Don. Yes, they're down to right now at tight end. They're down to Pascuzzi and Astringa and um, Zach Ortworth. However, I think it's pretty clear they're fairly comfortable. If they need to use Hayden Large in a tight end role and move in a guy like Rusty Van Wetzinga to fullback, my guess is they do that quicker than they would move a freshman like a Grant Leaper, maybe that I don't know if they have a lot of confidence in a guy like Grant Leaper who just got to campus a few months ago, but they've got options with Hayden large. Who's seen the field a lot. And he's obviously got the size to play uh, as a tight end. So uh, as an tight end. Um, Okay. Uh, Lomansky appreciate this super chat. Lomansky jazz from Florida has big time wiggle just needs blocking. Uh, we talked uh, after the Iowa State game about how good Jazz Patterson looked in pass blocking, Don. Um, he got hurt, has missed some time. Um, I think LaShawn Williams probably has the best wiggle, quote-unquote, uh, the the best make-your-guy-miss make type of um, action, if you will, on the ground. Jazz hits hard, obviously. Um, what would you say? How would you rate how, our, how Iowa's backs are playing right now? Again, a very healthy... 3.9 yards per rush, which I think is basically the benchmark, right? Yes, I, I felt I felt good about all three of them. I thought they all ran hard. They were decisive in how they ran. They didn't they didn't um, you know dance around without attacking the the um, the downfield. You know they they were determined to make positive yardage with each and every carry, and I think they. Pretty much did. It's a rare case when we got Tiger for a loss today. There were two or three maybe, but not many. Jason, I'm glad you provided some clarification because I think it was kind of hard to understand what what Kirk was saying on the BTN broadcast. Jason says that Kirk was talking about tying Bo's record. So that was the initial question from the sideline reporter. Kirk responded by talking about how that's stuff you discuss and think about in the offseason and during retirement. So maybe a middle bit of a misinformation about what exactly he said. And I didn't hear Kirk real clearly. I thought it was odd that he brought that up, but again, appreciate the clarification there, Jason. Um, And uh, let's go back to our Iowa smokehouse call in line. We've got OS for Hawks on the line. OS for Hawks. Welcome. 
Good evening, gentlemen. I thought for you forgot about me for a little while. Did I see you during the uh, during the game? You uh, did you respond to something on my Twitter? And it was uh, yes, I did. Let me find it because I thought it was an interesting uh, scroll. Scroll here. I don't even remember what it is. That's what happens when you get older, right, Coach? Oh, Don, <laughs> this, this gentleman responded to me during the game and said, someone explain why you would run any route short of the goal line in that situation. Of course, he's talking about the interception to Deacon Hill. Don, can you talk about what that play call was? Do you know without looking at, at it back on tape, the one that inter- resulted in the interception? Terrible decision by Deacon. Right. The only thing that comes to mind for me, a real basic fundamental rule of red zone offense is you do not throw late to the pile on. And I thought the ball came out late. And it was maybe intercepting on what the three yard line, I think something like that, three or four yard line. So you just got to be very, very careful about throwing a ball that lateral near the goal line. I say lateral, it was thrown down the field, but it was thrown a long distance, even though it wasn't that far from the line of scrimmage when the ball came down. It's a dangerous throw. You do not put the ball out there late. Don, I made a comment right after it, it happened. I thought, man, he's throwing the ball. Uh, toward the wide side of the field on a goal line situation. Why was that play? It was a bad decision, but why was the play called? Well, I don't really know for sure how the play was supposed to unfold. Maybe it it somehow unfolded a little bit differently than what it was supposed to. But the bottom line, you got to be very careful about making those throws to the front of the end zone, even if you're on the five-yard line. It's such a lateral throw, and it's in the air line if it's up to the wide field. And let's face it, the corner has no place left to defend, hardly. So right. is, it any, is it any wonder that he might be able to undercut that throw? Yeah, exactly. That's what you saw. The only thing I would say is Jake Butt on the coverage basically said, and this is why I tweeted that, he said on that play you should be sitting your butt on the goal line. He's, he said, I don't know why he stopped at the two-yard line. That's what he said in the in the coverage of the game. He said you should be sitting his butt on the goal line rather than short of the goal line. That's the only reason that I tweeted that. Who he was talking that? about the receiver, Jake Butt. Jake Butt said what? That the receiver should have been sitting on the goal line, not on the two-yard line. Okay. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that was maybe – well, let's see. I think there were 18 seconds left. Does that sound right? Yes, it was right before the half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yep. and I think we had, I think we had one timeout. So realistically, we might only get a couple of plays. Maybe that was a third down play. I don't recall. Those are all arguments, as Jake said. Of course, he played tight end. Why would why wouldn't you be on or across the goal line with a chance to make the play count? If you catch it on the three yard line, you got another. You gotta have to snap it again anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I don't recall exactly how it all unfolded because all I have to go by is what I actually saw with my eyes. I don't even have the benefit of a, a replay, so I don't know what what the TV showed. But Jake Jake had to be in a good position to make an accurate read on what he saw. And when he made that comment, OS for Hawks about uh, when when Jake Butt made the comment about how the receiver's butt needed to be on the goal line. No pun intended with that, right? He wasn't trying to be. Fun. Yeah, no, he was just saying that the receiver in that situation, in that route, he should have been on the goal line 
not two yards short. Uh, that's basically what I said. And that's enough. I just wanted to say, I think one of the reasons that Iowa won today was because of how well the offensive line performed today. I mean, run blocking, um, pass blocking. Um, Deacon had so much more time today than he's had in any other game. And I think you can see that on what happened on the performance on the field. I think he was able to hit some receivers. Uh, granted, there was a couple of throws, the interception, and the one throw to a stringa that actually was completed, I don't think that Deacon should have thrown either. <laughs> the, anyway, um, the other thing I wanted to say, I said the linebackers continue to impress me. Um, I, you know, we lost Jack Campbell and Higgins. Higgins just impressed me, and so does Jackson. But Higgins just it's – like, it's like Jack's still there. And um, I just want to say that. And I wanted to, to say one thing. And I, I, I like the earlier caller that said that we need to say a thank you to both Kirk and Brian Ferentz. And he's right. We have been blessed with a couple of great coaches over the last 40 years, uh, almost 50 years, I guess. And we've had great football played here at the University of Iowa. And I, I just wanted to say kudos for Kurt Ferentz. I think nobody more than him deserves to go ahead of Bo Schembechler, you know, for the number of wins. And the last thing I wanted to bring up is we also have three great running backs. They all, they, they do different things, but they all perform. And I think they performed today because the offensive line performed. And I always talk about the offensive line because I'm one of the old wide bodies that used to be up front. I played center when I played football. So I always kind of have to give a shout out to the offensive line if they do well or if they don't. Again, Corey, Don, thank you so much for your shows. I appreciate it so much. And I'm glad you took my call. I'm getting a little tired of being at the end of the show all the time, though. <laughs> Man, I'm I, just I, kidding, Corey. Just you're in the queue, my brother. Phone. You're going to have to log yeah. on like 30 minutes early. You're going to have to skip the fourth quarter just so you can be here early. How about watch the game first? What do you want me to log on and, and get into the queue before the game's over? That's exactly what I want you to do. Uh, well, man, I'm sorry. That's not going to happen. So I guess I'm going to have to live with where I'm at. Again, yeah. thank you guys so much for your shows. I appreciate the time. Go Thanks. Hawks. Appreciate it. Go Hawks. And um, as I put up on the banner here, if anybody is not following me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you can do so at From the Hawkeye on both Twitter and Instagram. And let's see here. Um, <laughs> I don't think Mark would would mind me sharing this. Mark Rogers just sent me a text. He said, I look forward to talking to you about this team on Tuesday. They seem to have made some meaningful progress on offense. Interesting coming from Mark. Mark's been very critical of Iowa, and rightfully so. The other thing about Mark, Don, is he's coming. He's fresh off watching this Rutgers team play Ohio State tough, and Ohio State struggled to score and, and move the ball against Ohio State. Um how many total you you want to guess, Don? I'm going to pull it up here. But as I'm pulling it up, can you please guess how many total yards? Uh, uh, excuse me, Ohio State had against Rutgers last week. Maybe you know the answer to that. 326. Is that really the answer? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not going to look. So. It up. That's my I'm not going to look it up if you already. Did. 
<laughs> That's my recall. Um, okay. Well, Rivers at 361, and Ohio State at 326. I could be wrong, but I do have a good capacity to remember numbers. Rutgers had 326, or Ohio State had 326? Ohio State. At 326, Rutgers outgained them. Rutgers outrushed them. Rutgers out, had more total offense also. So Iowa actually produced more yardage against Rutgers than Ohio State did last week. And, and yes. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, to become a premium subscriber here at the channel, click the join button, the uh, little blue button next to From the Hawkeye of the Storm, and you'll get a few little perks as we go along here. And I'm continuing to try to work at uh, figuring out more ways to serve our premium members, uh, kind of running a, a one-man operation, what, eight months out of it? Well, less than that, because, of course, Coach Close is with us throughout the offseason as well. We only get Coach Patterson for, what, like three, three and a half months. So um, I want to give as many perks to our premium subscribers as possible, but uh, you can join by clicking that uh, little blue button. Uh, Clayton is waiting on hold, but Clayton, I don't have audio for you. It says your device is not connected, so I can't bring you in. Oh, here comes Clayton. Uh, I think he got in. Iowa Smokehouse call online. Let's see if we can add Clayton to the mix. Clayton, can you hear me? Hey, you got me, Corey? I got you loud and clear, sir. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I will say that the analytics today for offense, oh my gosh, like it's it's unbelievable. Because we were looking at 50% third down conversions, nine for 18, I think, uh, which is fantastic, you know, looking at where we're at. And um, I think we were two for two for fourth down. So it's hard to say that the offense did not do their job today. Um, I, I, I just. You know, I'm I'm at a loss right now because you know, Rutgers is a is an excellent defense. I think everyone can agree on that. And we come off of Northwestern, which is obviously less of a defense than Northwestern. And look at what we do. So I'm kind of wondering what happened in the locker room to 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 to, to drive what happened tonight. Do you have any input on that? Don, do you think this type of a turnaround with offense, one game example, do you think that's an indication that something happened in the locker room or is this just sometimes things click at a certain time? And is it too small of a, a sample size to even make that conclusion? Yeah, I think it's it's really unexplainable sometimes how the outcome can be so different from one week to the next. So... Um, we just need to follow this up with a similar performance against Illinois. And if we do that, then maybe it, it, it does tie into something that happened in the locker room, perhaps. I don't think that happened, but I could be wrong. No way to know unless you check with the players. And, Corey, I think uh, Deacon played a, a good game tonight. I don't think anyone would say it was great. But um, obviously, his mistakes were uh, less than what they have been. He made, you know, obviously, the interception was a mistake. Um, there was one time that I noticed he was flushed out of the pocket. And instead of, you know, keeping going out of the pocket, he just turned back into the pocket and got sacked. I thought, well, 
you know, probably should have kept going that direction. But uh, he made a couple of decisions that were questionable. But I think by and large, I mean, he played a, a, a pretty solid game given what we've had the last Correct. six, Agreed. eight weeks. Absolutely. And by the way, I think he still has a lot of work to do, a lot of room to grow, Don, as it relates to his internal clock in the pocket. There was at least one throw. He made a completion. I think it was to, I believe it was to Addison Estrangle. I'll have to look back at it. It was a pass toward the middle of the field, and his clock should have went off sooner. And he was. it was fortunate that a pass rusher didn't get to him a split second sooner because he probably would have stripped him again. The other thing I've noticed with Deacon Hill, to nitpick a little bit, now, granted, he's probably not quite as tall as a, like a Nate Stanley was, but does it seem like he, his balls get tipped at the line a lot? And they, yeah. and because of the velocity with these throws, the balls are the ball shoots straight up in the air, and we're, we're fortunate that that hasn't burned. Yeah, that, uh, that tip pass today could have come down in someone, some defender's hands because it was up in the air a long time. So is that is there something? How do you correct that? Is there a way to correct that other than just? Uh, helping a quarterback to be aware of timing and knowing when a defensive lineman is typically going to try and get up for a tip pass, or how do you how do you teach that? How do you fix that? Well, you just have to have an awareness of, of where the throwing lanes are. One thing that I do notice, um, even if you're in the gun, there's nothing wrong with making slight adjustments with your feet. <clears throat> so often you see Deacon. He just puts his feet firmly on the ground and doesn't even move for a period of time. If he takes a snap in the gun, it's going to be a short throw. You know, it's not even as if he's, uh, you know, lightly patting his feet even. And, um, you know, if you're in that position and you just hold that position for a while, then obviously they have – can you still hear me, Corey? I got you. Yep, I got you. Okay, because I lost my video somehow. I have to ask my wife how to, I bumped it somehow. Uh, I don't have any picture on my screen, but I guess if you stand with your feet in the ground and you're you're lined up to throw a certain direction, of course, the pass rush can read that you're based on where you're sitting with your feet and with your shoulders. The likely path of the ball would be right through this area, and of course, as the as the tenths of seconds tick off, it's entirely possible that they work their way into what they anticipate to be the throwing line. I think that does happen sometimes. And, of course, if they have a chance to get a hand up, they can't get to you, but they understand if I can't get to the quarterback, the next best thing is for me to get a hand up in what I see as the throwing lane. I think you saw that today. And I will I will add one thing, Corey. Um, I'm really glad that we played Rutgers tonight because uh, I live in Wisconsin, and I'm 70 miles from the border of Minnesota. I work with a lot of Nebraska fans, and I spend a lot of time in Ames for work. So nobody that I know is a Rutgers fan, so I don't have any problems this week with uh, any flack. So that's the good news. Absolutely. I don't know any Rutgers fans myself. So, um, And I... I'm in Ames all the time. So, um, anything else, Clayton? Appreciate you uh, calling in and being a part of this. No, I appreciate you guys' time and uh, go Hawks. I think that uh, today looks to me like a step forward. I hope it carries into the next week. 
I don't see the the uh, Illinois quarterback having the same success as he did today, but you know, time will tell. <laughs> Big difference between the Indiana defense and the Iowa defense. Thank you for the call, Clayton. Thanks, Corey. Don, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick you on out of here, and that way you can fix your video. I want I want you to be able to see us. I can see you now. I'm you're back. Oh, I'm you got you. it. Back. Yeah. Look at you. I'm gonna hire you as my IT guy. Can you take care of all my behind-the-scenes technology stuff, Don? I just consider myself lucky to have hit the right button. I'm not really sure. <laughs> it was just a guess on my part. Okay. Uh, Steve Peterson in the chat. Will Vines be back soon? We don't know. doesn't sound like there was an official injury report given to the media after the game. I'm sure we'll get some updates on Tuesday, uh, official updates on Tuesday. And, um, Finn, what do you think Don does all week? What do I think Don does all week? Well, uh, he spends a lot of time on analytics. That's true. Um, in the summertime, you like to golf. Yep. You like to eat those little pecan tarts from Walmart, right? I do. I can highly recommend them. <laughs> and uh, let me let me give a plug to one more product Don that Don really likes. And I have not yet went to the store, but Don, I've got it written down just so you know. I haven't forgotten about that conversation. Sister Schubert's dinner yeast rolls. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm a fan, yeah. and that reminds me, Corey. Uh, I'll just let it go at this, and you can fill in the blanks. I was introduced to a wonderful loaded baked potato uh, by my daughter Brooke, and I enjoyed every minute of it. And I think you know where I found it. I know exactly where you. <laughs> it's funny you said that. I have, and we won't say it on the air, Don. But we, I have got a baked potato from the place that you're talking about in my refrigerator waiting for me to end this show right now. Now it's not loaded. It's not loaded, but I've had the loaded baked potato there and it is scrumptious. Let me just say that. So yeah, if I really want to pick everyone's interest, I think, I think it costs, even if it's loaded version, it costs about four bucks. I think it's worth every penny of it. It's very, very good. Cup it with some chili and you've got yourself a beautiful winter meal. I passed on the chili, but I did recall that you gave the chili high marks, too. Very high marks. Um, we'll have to bring them on as a sponsor, Don, and then I can really put a plug in for them from the heart. Uh, Cameron, appreciate the uh, comment. Thank you all for the show every week. Really appreciate it, and we appreciate you, Cameron, for being here. And uh, Lisa, same thing. Uh, thank you, uh, Lisa, for being here. <laughs> we love you, too, Lisa. We appreciate you being a part of the, the Hawkeye fandom and uh, being a part of the uh, this show i've seen you on here a lot recently so appreciate you uh, and your always positive comments uh, so thank you lisa also um let me see there was one more comment before we got to our next caller i wanted to hit um well d hollywood thank you for the super chat d appreciate the donation and uh, uh your way of supporting the show. Lemansky adding in with the super chat. If we are family, reward backups if possible. We might get Kate injured. Oh, that happened. Scout team works hard too. So Lemansky's clearly an advocate for playing younger guys if the opportunity um, comes. And it, 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 you could argue that they could have put in Marco Linez or even a Joe Labus. I probably would have. I would have thought they would have went with Linez late again. They they can't burn his red shirt at this point. So why not play him? And Eric with the super chat, one good game doesn't make up for years of futility. Sorry, Brian. Good luck in your future endeavors. I have seen some people earlier in the chat, Don. Um, you know what a mistake it was to fire Brian. Um, 
I'll just comment on that. I think uh, let's remember that we're we're that that is the epitome of living in the moment. Um, this is one game. Compare it to the sample size that is the last how many years? Let's let's pump the brakes on the fire Beth gets stuff. Uh, I, I know those people are in the minority, but uh, I would agree that uh, I'm happy for Brian uh, to have a performance with his unit this week like he had. And I hope he has great performances these last two weeks. In my opinion, that in no way changes where I stand about his future with Iowa. Now, the argument that maybe they could have utilized him somewhere else, I think that ship sailed when you continued to elevate him and promote, promote, promote. You're not going to demote the guy. He's probably not going to take a big pay cut to go to a lesser position on the team. He'd probably rather do that at the NFL level or somewhere else. That's my two cents on it. But uh, I do think he'll be an adequate coach somewhere. I've said that. I think he knows how to coach tight ends. I think he knows something about the offensive line. He probably knows a lot about the run game, Don. And frankly, in hindsight, this can be a conversation for a different day. Two years ago, maybe this whole thing would have been different had they not went the direction they did with quarterbacks coach made Brian the the run game coordinator and promoted somebody who was more familiar with the passing game and quarterback play and have those two guys work hand in hand. But we'll, we'll never know because that's not what's happening. Uh, Danimal with a super chat. Thanks for the show every week, Coach and Corey. Glad to see Deacon have a mostly fine game. Thank you for the super chat, Danimal. Let's go back to our Iowa Smokehouse call in line. We've got Randy on hold. Randy, Randy welcome. welcome. Hey, how are we doing? I'm doing good, Randy. Uh, I have a problem, problem, though. Randy. Uh, You are are using an Android or a Google phone or browser, and uh, they're having an issue with echoing right now, so I'm going to mute you just for a second. Do you have earphones that you can grab and add into this? You do not. Are you able to call in on a different device, perhaps? I... I don't have a different device to call in on. Okay. okay. Uh, I'm just, it's a really strong echo and it's a StreamYard issue. So if you're able to call in by phone, call in by phone real quick and I'll throw you to the front of the line. But it's just every time I speak, I hear a really strong echo. So are you able to call in by phone real quick? Yeah, I could. Okay. okay. All right. G- give me a call real quick. 515-635-1601, Randy, and we'll get you on. Thank you, sir. All right. Um, I know Randy's been waiting on hold for a while, so if we get him in the phone line, we're going to move him to the front. So we'll see if we can do that. Again, thank you for the super chat, Danimal. And Brody, appreciate the super chat as well. Bacon fried up a whole pound tonight. Uh, Caleb Brown is an absolute stud. Glad to see him shining. Thought he might be player of the week, given his circumstances. And Don, uh, it is a fair question to ask. What took so long to get... um, to get this guy going, um, to get uh, Caleb Brown going. And I don't know that I have a, an answer to that question, but um, what I can say is that uh, I'm happy for him now, and I hope that this is an indication of things to come. And hopefully, as the passing game continues to progress in years to come, he will be a part of that uh, because he's got raw talent, and he demonstrated that with some soft hands and and uh, nice plays out of the backfield and just – Overall, it seems like that pass play that got them in scoring position last week against Northwestern maybe gave him a little bit of a boost. I think you're right. One thing that that, uh, appears to be obvious to me is that he has more potential after the catch than the average receiver. Uh, And the only reason I bring it up that way, that's an argument for getting him the ball 
in space, even if it's even if, if it's behind the line of scrimmage, either behind or shortly or, or slightly downfield. Let's just get the ball in his hands in space, give him a chance to do something with it, because it appears he is above average after the catch, and we need to give him a chance to prove that up ahead. All right, I think we got Randy back on the line. Randy, can you hear me? Yep. All right, sorry about that. Yeah, StreamYard's having a a big issue with Google this week, and I know they're trying to get that resolved, but Android and Chrome are are having issues. So apologize for the wait, but I appreciate you calling me via phone. Yeah, not a problem. So I I wanted to salute the military, too. I just found out yesterday that my oldest son is going to be shipped off to Kosovo next month. So that'll be his first deployment. So hats off to all the military personnel out there. Well, I wish your son uh, the the safest endeavors uh, and uh, be thinking about you as well, Randy. I appreciate that. It was good to see some actual offense. I thought we were going to, for a few minutes we were going to have a zero zero score going into halftime again. What's the odds of having a zero zero score two weeks in a row in a football game going into halftime? Well, not a lot of difference between zero zero and three zero, but I will say this. Uh, no, my, my nine to seven, that was my prediction pregame Don was nine to seven, Iowa. Um, I, I, what was it late in the third quarter? What, what was the score heading into the fourth Don? Was it six zero? You know, I can't remember. Um, let me let me pull this up here. I've got. Yeah, the, I think you're right because I remember the the touchdowns were both on the north end, right in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was six zero heading into the fourth, and I thought, hey, my my prediction could easily pan out. Iowa gets one more field goal than Rutgers tax on a garbage touchdown nine to seven, but uh, it wasn't to be a sixteen point fourth quarter for the Hawks. And by the well, way, real quick, just the two point conversion that was called back. I'm tired I of. That was good. Well, first of all, I'm tired of Randy. You're right, and I'm tired of officials not sticking to the letter of the law. And I don't care. Maybe I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I don't care what Dean Blandino said on the broadcast during the review of that play. There is no way you can tell me that he conclusively had a knee or shin down. There's no way you can say that. I don't care what angles you're looking at. There is no conceivable way you can say that's conclusive. And I have a real problem with that, Don. This rule about calling the field has to be conclusive to overturn it. I don't see officials doing that more often than not. When it's obvious, it's easy to, to fall back on that. Well, it's got to be conclusive. That was almost conclusive the opposite way. But when it's in doubt, I see officials more often than not, it seems like, Don, going with their gut as opposed to going with the letter of the law, which is it has to be conclusive. You go back and watch right. that play with Caleb Brown. There's no way you can say with 100% uh, definity that, his knee or shin was down. There's just no way you can say that. I was curious, at least in the stadium, no one ever showed a shot right down the goal line. The angles weren't good. The replays that we saw in the stadium, I was curious, was there a replay that was looking right down the goal line? Um, I don't know. Yeah, about, there I, was. I, I, yeah, I think there was. There was. I don't know that I'd say right down the goal line. I think the big thing is his the, the way his leg moved as he was turning into the end zone for that two-point conversion. Um, it's clear that the shin got close to touching the ground. Whether or not it did, we don't know. But then the knee came back up and clearly was off the ground when he crossed. So it really doesn't matter where 
his knee was when he crossed. The question is, did it ever touch the ground prior to that point? And I'm just simply saying there's just no way when you go back and watch that down, there's no way you can say with certainty that it touched. And if it did, it grazed grass. Yeah. So I, I had a problem with that because that seems to be a, an issue with we've seen a lot of blunders done it, and not just the Minnesota game, but I know people here in Ames are, are frustrated with how the, the Kansas uh, Iowa State game was officiated. You probably saw uh, Jalen Knoll was called back. Well, excuse me, he wasn't called back. He was called out of bounds on a punt return that was taken back for a touchdown replay. A different view of that play later showed that he never stepped out of bounds. And the problem, when, of course, when an official makes that call in that moment is you can't call it back to review because you blew the play dead. So naturally, you know, like the Jack Campbell play with our friend Tim O'Day a year ago against Minnesota, you let the play run out, run its course, and then look at it later. All right? Look at it later. I just – I don't know if officiating has gotten worse or if I've just gotten more irritable as it relates to the zebras, Don, but it just seems like we're seeing more and more of these issues where officials are not uh, consistent – are not sticking to the letter of the laws it relates to replay uh, and certainly not letting plays play out. Uh, and that's, you know, especially when you're talking about a potential touchdown on a re- punt return or a pick six or something, you better let that play run out if there's any doubt. Right. All right. Sorry. That's my tangent, Randy. Go ahead. Yeah, that's all right. I, I'm, I'm fully with you on that. The whole replay, it needs to be, for something that's clearly obvious that they miss rather than, Oh, that's pretty close. Yeah. I, Correct. I think they, they've got to go, go after the more obvious and let that play stand. And the bottom line is you gotta, you gotta put the shoe on the other foot there and look at it from the other direction. Had the call been made at the, at the, and of course the spot didn't, it didn't end up mattering because they won 22 zero. But if that call had been made that he was down at the half-inch yard line, I'd be saying the same thing. It should not have been overturned. That's what inconclusive yeah. means. The fact of the matter is it was called a touchdown on the field. You stick with the call on the field. But. Yeah. My, uh, one of the biggest questions I I have for Don is, is this, about the rhythm of the offense for a quarterback getting – it feels like we just don't have an offense that has a really good rhythm to it. And today we turn around and we're moving down the field and he was hitting receivers one after another and getting first downs. And is is it an offensive scheme thing? Are we taking guys that are just slinging the ball around all the time when they're in high school and then we're asking them to slow down, slow the roll a little bit too much. And, and then they tighten up and are not feeling comfortable because they're not throwing it. Well, one thing I I really felt happened today, I give credit to Deacon in the past. I don't think I've said this on the air, but Corey, I think I've mentioned it to you maybe off the air. Uh, I think Deacon at times in the past has been a thrower, but not a passer. Hope that makes sense to you. And primarily the difference in the two is that a passer understands that there are times when you don't throw 
a fastball. There are times when you take something off the throw. Maybe you need to do it because you need to loft the ball over a defender. You saw that a week ago when we converted to um, jersey number 81, right, the 23-yard game. That was a ball that required touch. He lofted the ball pretty much directly over the underneath coverage and into the hands of Caleb, and it was a key play, of course. It set up the game-winning field goal. Today, the thing I noticed, uh, and a lot of those a lot of those drive routes are what you might think of as a crossing route off a of play action. They had they had man coverage, and the coverage was in hot pursuit. Uh, and if we had thrown the ball a little bit on our receiver's backside, it might have even been intercepted or at least broken up. But what I saw a few times is a ball that that showed. Uh, less than full velocity, but it was on target. And it made for an easier catch. The ball didn't go zipping off someone's fingertips and up in the air. We had maybe one or two of those. But in general, the ball was was fielded. And I think the receivers as a group would tell you, uh, today Deacon gave us more balls that were more easily catchable. Uh, he demonstrated touch. That's a good thing because he's he's learning from week to week about how to become a better quarterback. Uh, so that was a really positive thing I saw today is Deacon demonstrated more touch on his throws. Not everything was a fastball. That's a good sign because he's getting better with each and every passing week. Yeah, hopefully we see some more of that next week. I'm head, I'll be headed out to the game next week, so hopefully we have some more offense. And it's just a thing. It's just a sign of things to come. Hopefully, yep. I was getting a little bit anxious when the mention was to have more offense, and I'm thinking we had 405 yards. Now I am nervous because I don't know if we can put up 405 next weekend. Maybe we'll try. Yeah. All right. I thank you guys for everything you do. Thank you, Randy. We appreciate you and your support, sir. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thank you guys for uh, real quick. I just was going to look here. So it's 402, Don. The number is 402. Today, 402. Yep, 402. Good. So uh, that's an impressive number. And then I, uh, I don't even know. Did we take a knee once or twice at the end of the game? The only reason I ask is I will admit we left our seats with about a minute on the clock because uh, I wanted to see every last snap. But I wanted to see it from the portal. I didn't want to get in my row, having to get hung up with many more, many more fans. And I didn't want to have to be that late to your show, Corey. That's why we left our seats with a little bit of time on the clock. Okay, uh, we still got a lot of people here waiting to jump on, and we've got a couple of comments in the chat to get to. John wants to know if this team were nine and one, are they ranked in the top six? No, not no. a chance. Not a chance. Um, now, would they be able to work their way into the top four? They would have to win out, and that's why I said the only way they could conceivably get in. And I know Tom talked about you know all these teams losing. I think the only way they could possibly get in get in is if the committee set a precedent and went out on a limb and said we believe this team is actually twelve and one. That call was unprecedented against Minnesota. This team deserves to be twelve and one. They're Big Ten champions. That would be the only way they get in. They're not going to be looked at as a two loss entry into the playoff not as a 14 playoff if this was a 12 team playoff then sure they'd be in the mix big bolivar like button hit it folks absolutely please do that uh, bj with uh, some 
I don't want to say criticism, but reality check. He says, same thing happened after the whiskey game. Thought our offense was better and then crapped the bet against Minnesota. The run game was better against Wisconsin, Don. We have not seen the advancement of the passing game until today. There is a difference with what we've seen in those two games, but it is fair. And you brought up the progress, the seeming progress in 2017 against, well, I shouldn't say progress because they actually had a decent passing game in 2017. But what they did against Ohio State in 2017 followed up by um, an egg at Wisconsin the next week. One good win, one good performance does not guarantee longevity in those categories moving forward. So that is a fair criticism. Yeah, the challenge is to show consistency from one week to the next. If you don't do that, then you don't deserve to be a a championship championship team. You got to be consistent with what you do. Right. Scott says, uh, great game, Uh, Corey and Don. Thanks for all you guys do. 47 years as a Hawk fan here. Appreciate that, Scott. Thank you for being here. D. Rolofson. Glad Brian is debuting his new look offense with 400 plus. Hope that's the new offense. Hope that's the new norm moving forward for Brian and this offense uh, through his career. Thank you, D. Rolofson. Pete, Kirk Ferentz worth every dollar. Phil Parker needs a quarter million dollar raise. Coach Patterson is priceless. Uh, Blessed with so many great coaches over the years and players too. Thank you, Pete. I'm humbled by your comment. I appreciate that. And uh, thank you, Pete, for the super chat. M. Finn says, uh, I use Sister Schubert's roles all the time. So uh, that's good news. And Circle Herc says, is it true that when Coach Patterson lifts dumbbells, he makes them smarter? I don't even know how to respond to that. (laughs) Of course, if Circle Herc is asking the question, then the obvious answer is yes, absolutely, it's true. Um, okay, let's go back to our phone line. I believe, let's see. Um, we've got, uh, ah, we've got uh, our Iowa Smokehouse call in line. Before we get to our next caller, I do want to take a moment. We're, we're recapping Iowa's 22 0 win over the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, but I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Brad Van Meter, and his team down at State Farm in Des Moines. If you need a quote on insurance and it never hurts to get a quote, certainly. Uh, see if Brad and his team can save you money. They're down at State Farm on Fleur Drive in Des Moines, 4229 Fleur Drive. Visit Brad online at bradvanmeter.com. You can also give him a call, 515-256-6480. They're uh, spending countless hours on their customers, checking annually to make sure that they're taking care of you and your needs and reviewing coverages regularly. They've got three fully licensed team members to help you navigate through the complex world that is insurance. Give Brad and his team a call. Brad has been a proud supporter of the the show here for quite some time. We appreciate Brad. Please show your appreciation by talking to Brad about how he can serve you and your family better with insurance. All right, uh, let's go back to our Iowa Smokehouse call in line. We've got Erica on the line. Erica, welcome. Hi, good evening. How's it going? Going great, Erica. How are you? I'm very happy today, actually, for a change. I'm not calling in to criticize anything. Um, I wanted to ask a question, though. Um, I've gotten into a debate with someone that I believe you know, Corey. I'm not going to mention the person's name out of respect. It's not an Iowa fan. It's another fan base. Um, But we were going back and forth on Twitter because, of course, it's Twitter. You know, that's what people do on Twitter. Um, We were going back and forth. They said that Rutgers crapped the bed against us tonight. And I think that is trash. Um, I think that the fact that we've beaten Rutgers nine out of the like last 11 times means that Iowa's dominant. I don't think that Rutgers crapped the bet. I think we were the better better team. 
So I just wanted to get your opinions on that. What do you think about that, Don? Um, how much of this, I mean, how would you evaluate Rutgers after getting shut out 22 to zero? I heard Greg Shannon's press conference and in so many ways, he said that he said, we're simply not in a league with Iowa yet, you know, because we didn't respond well and they put a lot of pressure on us with what they did. And they were clearly the better team. That was a, a dominant performance. The score, if anything, was a little bit misleading when, you know, we should have beaten them worse than 22. Well, the two-point conversion should have been good, and they should have gotten points at the end of the first half. And the missed field goal. Could have been 30 then based on that, right? And honestly, that's the coach's fault for not taking a five-yard delay game penalty and giving Drew a kick from 50-plus, right? Shouldn't have had him <laughs> kick from 47, Don. Well, I mean, that's there's it. a lot of that. I mean, they shouldn't have gotten was, – was it six false starts that Rutgers got? You can't tell me that they crapped the bet if they got six false starts. That is just garbage. Well, part of that is, yeah, no question about it. The the crowd, how much of an effect does the crowd have, Don? You've coached offense for many years. How much of an effect does the crowd have in that situation? I think in rare cases, the crowd has a significant effect on the game. I think today was one of those cases. Let's yeah, face it, I, most of those false starts came in the first half when the game was very much in doubt. Yeah, I just couldn't believe when that person said that. I just thought it was. Poor, like just not true. I mean, we've beaten Rutgers more times than not. So if they, I mean, that to me doesn't mean they crap the bed. That just means in general, we're the better team and we definitely were the better team today. Right. Yeah. So, no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, you can't argue that they got zero points. And like the other thing I wanted to ask about too, and I'm just asking this because I don't know a ton about Rutgers, except the fact that we tend to beat them. Um, apparently their defense is good. I, mean, I I don't think we made them look very good today. And I acknowledge that uh, Xavier Wampa knocked out their best defender or one of their best defenders, but. I mean, there's not there. The numbers suggest that Iowa's offense heading into tonight was the worst offense in FBS. Right. So the fact that, that Rutgers gave up over 400 total yards to Iowa mm -hmm. offensively and Iowa hasn't done that for what, three seasons. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that, Shiano, being a defensive-minded guy, Don, is probably not real happy with his guys. Um, he, he did make one comment. The fact that they they couldn't stay on the field offensively, he, he commented that the defense just had way too many snaps and couldn't get off the field. And All you have to do is reflect back on our game against Penn State. The shoe was on our foot that, that night, wow, very right. much like the shoe was on Rutgers' foot today. That's exactly right. Yeah. They got worn down. Yeah. I also wanted to ask, and if you guys don't want to answer this, this, that's fine. Like, I understand. I wanted to get your opinions on the whole Michigan stuff, all that stuff that's happening over there in Ann Arbor. Well, I hope Michigan loses every game the rest of the way. Um, I don't care who – I mean, I, I, I wish nothing badly on players, but the fact of the matter is there's no place in the game for cheating, and that's what – has been uh i i know that there's a, a claim against you know due process ha, due process has not been given to michigan and to jim harbaugh it sounds like there's some really strong evidence uh, regarding these uh, allegations and mm -hmm. you know the big 10 decided to make the decision that it did um i i have never liked michigan this makes me like michigan less never really liked jim harbaugh i'm sorry leo he's in our queue <laughs> We're going to bring Leo in here in a second. 
I, I just uh, I hope they lose every game the rest of the, the way. I, I really do. And it's nothing about the players or the fans. But uh, I'm, I'm t- frankly, I'm getting tired of hearing about the story, Don. That's maybe my biggest thing. I'm, yeah. I'm not as tired of hearing about the story as I was hearing about Coach Prime heading into the year. Don, do you have anything on this, the sign stealing stuff? Well, I'm yesterday at, at a luncheon, uh, the question came up about about all of that, and my response like this: I, I had to sit by saying, "Got so believe me, I'm all about fair play. And anybody that cheats deserves a severe penalty. So I simply made the, this comment. If I were the, in charge of the NCAA and Michigan was able to go 13-0, and 0, I would pick up the phone and call them and congratulate them on an outstanding season. And in my next breath, I would tell them, you are not part of the Final Four. And it's all because you violated the rules of the game and you've, you've done so and you deserve to pay a severe penalty for what you've done. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I understand the due process argument. I was saying that until frankly, I'm, I just got kind of tired of hearing about it. Now I'm more on, on the fence of like, or on the side of like, they need to be reprimanded for this and punished for this. So I don't know. I was trying to be fair about it and the due process stuff because I do believe, you know, innocent to proven guilty and all that. But honestly, they've proven they've proven that that Connor Stallions or whatever his name is did do something. Can I throw in a simple illustration? Because illustrations teach Um, for anybody complaining about, well, Jim Harbaugh, he shouldn't be suspended for the game. (laughs) Here's the problem, Don. Here's the problem. Someone's <laughs> accused of a crime. The pol- the, listen, when someone is accused of a crime, the police don't wait to arrest him until he's found guilty. Right? That's, That's not how this works. That's so the, the allegations are made. They have strong evidence. They've decided to suspend him. Due process will occur. And guess what? Um, if if Michigan wants to go back and and litigate the Big Ten... They can do that. It sounds like that's what they're planning on doing. Just like if somebody's wrongfully imprisoned and they lose out on months and months of work and life experience and life quality, then they can go back and sue. But this is what due process is. I don't want to hear this garbage about how, well, we haven't been proven yet, so they should be able to just play out the rest of the season and then we can discuss it later. No, we're talking about quality of the game here. We're we're talking about... uh, innocent until proven guilty and due process this is how it works whether you like it or not well we're talking about ethics here it's not just about due process it's ethics you know it it is integrity of the game absolutely yeah and i also you know to sort of um say something along the same lines that you were Corey, that you're just tired of hearing about it i'm also tired of hearing about it and the other thing i'm tired of hearing about is that michigan fans are now threatening to join the sec like to leave the big 10 and join the sec isn't that ridiculous? Bye-bye. Exactly. Bye-bye. Exactly. Don't care. Don't care. And, just, and I don't know. I I just, I was trying really hard to, you know, be calm about it and all that, but I've heard about it a few too many times. I'm tired of hearing them talk about this Michigan against the world stuff. I just think that's so crazy and ridiculous to think so highly of yourself that it's you against the world. Like, come on. Like, cry me a river already. If I was the Big Ten, you know what I would do if I was the Big Ten, Erica? Uh, get them say, out? Oh, I would say, oh, you're going to threaten us to go to the SEC? Um, I, I would, I don't know what the contract stipulations between the university and the Big Ten are, but I would, 
I would dare them to make that move. With all the money that's on the table right now in the Big Ten, I yeah. would dare them to make that move. That's They'll right. never make that move. That's right. So anyways. So, so uh, Big Bolivar is complaining about us talking about this. So I'll finish with something a bit more humorous and hawk related. Given tonight's win, Don, where's your cowboy hat? I misplaced it all over again. My goodness. Seriously, again? I could get mine out. I could get mine out. You want me to get mine out, uh, Erica? <laughs> sure, why not? And then also next time you see Don, because I imagine you see him in person, you can give him the hat and have him wear it next time. That's a good heads up for me to be sure that Corey doesn't drop in on me with a, with a box under his arm because it might have a cowboy hat in it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Well, I was also right. watching. Oh my goodness, there he is. We are back, Don. Where's the guy that wears the the black hat? Isn't that the bad guy always? Doesn't Kenny Chesney wear the black hat? Oh goodness! Right. It, it typically it's the bad guy, right? I, I should have went brown, but uh, well, he went black because it's Hawks. That's right, back in black, Don. <laughs> Obviously. I don't know, Corey, did you hear what I said? You need to, next time you see Don, bring it to him and let him wear it the next time. <laughs> Don, you've got to have a cowboy hat, don't you? We've talked no. about this before. <laughs> I was not born in West Texas. I was born in East Texas. Oh, I don't know what difference that makes. I'm not from Texas. I have no idea. Well, if you're born in West Texas, you might need to wear a cowboy hat. But you okay. also coached in Denton, Don. You coached near the stock, within driving distance of the stockyard, so... There's no reason why you don't have there's, – there's no real good reason. And you coached under a cowboy in Hayden Fry. That's true. I'm trying to think if I ever saw Hayden wear a cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah, he, would, he wasn't really a cowboy hat either uh, guy. No. Either, you know? Yeah, he liked his sunglasses. I think that was his his thing, not so much the cowboy hat. They do refer to Fort Worth as where the West begins. That's true. But Denton is not, not exactly – not exactly aligned with Fort Worth. Denton's a little bit north and east, I think. Yeah, I know, but it's it's driving distance. You go down oh, yeah. to the stockyards and spend <laughs> the afternoon, and yeah. No, anyway, well, I'm glad that we won today. Um, I also find it amusing that people are saying in the chat today, or you know, tonight, that we shouldn't have fired Brian, and then and then, and I'm just like, you can't take it back. Number one, number two. Like, he had one good game, which I'm very happy about. Don't get me wrong, but it needs to be a consistent thing. Yeah, one, one, one example does not prove anything other than good job. Yeah, see right there, Brian S. Rehire Brian. Nah. <laughs> no. <laughs> They're not rehiring Brian. They're but not I, do rehiring think, Brian. I do think it's worth exploring the idea, Erica, of from the Hawkeye of the Storm shirts that say rehire Brian. <laughs> Brian Brian S here in the chat's already ahead of you. He said that like an hour ago. I know I, I saw it. I'm just Did you see? Yeah. Uh, I, and I, I don't know if you saw my comment back to him. I said I don't think you're gonna sell many t-shirts. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'd like to I'd like to go down that road and experience it. Yeah, we'll have to see. Anyway, well, thank you again for taking the call and okay. go Thanks. Hawks. Appreciate it. Go Hawks. Absolutely. And um Cub Hawk. Uh, Cub Hawk uh, 1237. Did Beth make a mistake saying Brian won't be back in any capacity? I think he'd be great as an assistant head coach, co-offensive line coach. He bleeds black and gold. I don't think Beth made any mistake. I'll say that. I don't think she made any mistake. Um, I think it was the obvious decision that probably should have made a long been made a long time ago by 
Beth Getz's predecessor. And that predecessor put Beth Getz in a really awkward situation and position. And she made the right decision at the right time. Had things not been allowed to continue as they were and, and the situation enabled for so long, maybe Brian could have um, flourished here as a position coach. But that was not the projection. That was not the goal. And sometimes things backfire, and that's what's happened. Um, Don uh, Stewart wants to know, do you have any more metrics for ensuring a kitten is born? Well, you know what? I'm more of a dog person. I'm sorry. I don't have much history at all with kittens or cats. Steve says, any chance getting Anthony Herrera on off the big night? What is? Oh, Anthony. Okay. he That's a typo. Any chance getting Anthony Heron off the Big Ten Network uh, on your show? I'd love to get Anthony Heron on. Don, did you recruit Anthony? I didn't personally recruit him. I know Anthony pretty well because he played for us. And uh, he's done an outstanding job at Big Ten Network. And uh, my guess is, Corey, I don't know that I have a phone number for him, but I, I would bet he went through the Big Ten Network and, and put a message toward him that you'd like to invite him to do our show. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I wouldn't even mind if you mentioned, oh, by the way, Coach P is on the show. I would be willing to bet you that he would make time to do it. Yeah, I'd like to get get Anthony on there. I did think it was an interesting interaction between him and Jay Lehman. Both were really good Big Ten players uh, in their own right, early 2000s. But what I thought was interesting is at halftime, it was 3-0. So Iowa hadn't exploded offensively yet. And Anthony Heron was talking about how impressive it was that Iowa was moving the ball as well as they were in spite of the fact that they're dealing with all these injuries. And Jay Lehman kind of checked Anthony and he said, you know, everyone's dealing with injuries at this point in the season. And I thought it was a very, very good point that Jay Lehman made because right. give credit where credit is due. The offense looked great, but I don't want to hear about this. Well, they're doing it in spite of all these problems and all these this turmoil, Don. Everybody's dealing with injuries. Yes, they've lost Cade, they've lost Lachey and Eric All, but that's football. This happens every year to almost every team. Some years are worse than others, but this is part of the game. Football is a war of attrition. Right. And in general, teams are all hit with the injury bug. Not the same, but in a similar way. I'll say it that way. Uh, Jason wants to know, how would Phil Parker's defense translate to the NFL? Any thoughts on that, Don? I know you ever coached in the league, but do you think that ever be a consideration for Phil Parker, something that could tamalize him, tempt him to leave? Believe me, I don't study study the NFL like I study college football, so I'm not as much of an expert about the NFL. If I watch a, a Sunday game, it's probably because a former player that I know well is playing in the game. I'm simply watching to see how he's doing. So I don't really study it from a strategy standpoint. Um, it's hard for me to imagine that somebody like Phil, uh, that that, uh, that I'm sure they probably play more man coverage in, in the NFL, I believe they do, than in college. Um, and, of course, Phil would prefer to play zone concepts, and that's worked well for us. So in that regard, he might be forced to play more man in the pros. And and yet, he's such an outstanding teacher, I don't have any doubt that he could be successful if he ever chose to, to coach in the NFL. I think he'd certainly be able to make that transition. Lomanski says, if the season ends today, is Ferentz Big Ten Coach of the Year? You know, to be honest with you, if I had a vote, I'd probably still favor 
voting for the Northwestern coach. I think the job he's done, uh, Kirk's done a great job this year. My guess is um, an impartial observer would say what's even been more out of the ordinary is the success that that this young man has had becoming the head coach in the summertime after a beloved head coach was removed from duty. They've won five games right now. Is that right? Chance to be bowl eligible? And they won five or four. I think they're at five. Five, yeah. That's amazing. It is. And um, Stacy says, I wonder how much the Ohio State game took out of uh, Rutgers. I mean, that's possible, Don. That's a – uh, maybe the, the the biggest game marked on the schedule preseason for Rutgers that in Michigan certainly. Um, There's no doubt that that game took a toll on them, uh, at least from an emotional standpoint. They played them so well for a long time. As you know, they had a nine-seven lead in the third quarter. The ninety-three-yard interception return was the play of the game. If you're a if you're a Rutgers fan, you would argue that that was targeting. Uh, and of course, if that would have been flagged. Um, as uh, targeting or pass interference, that would have certainly um, given us a different outcome than what we had. I'm not saying Ohio State wouldn't have still gone on to win the game, but it would have been a tighter game, obviously. All right, let's go back to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. We've got uh, Michigan fan Leo. Hey, guys. Leo, how critical are you Leo, to be you? comments earlier? Well... Look, it's Veterans Day. I'm a 20-year Navy guy, so I'm happy today, right? I'm not going to – I understand this is Hawkeye the Storm. This isn't the Michigan podcast, Lockdown Wolverines. I know where I'm calling. So we're going to be respectful to the – You, uh, you, hey. The naive lady, young lady who called before. Me, you can we're gonna, me. We're going to be very respectful to her. But congratulations today, man. 400 yards. Appreciate that. I haven't seen that in a while, huh? I have not since 2021. So, quick question: How big of a boy is Deacon? He's about two sixty, isn't he? Don, is that where he's listed? Oh, I about to say he reminds me like a little Ben Roethlisberger, maybe because it's his, the, the colors or something. But um, you know, because you, you run these big sets, and today you were the stretch plays. Now, a couple years ago, when you played Michigan in the Big Ten championships. One of the runs that you were having success was, was that stretch run to the outside. And I saw that again today. Um, for some reason, they like running the big set. They don't, it's not a lot of spread. There's not a lot of, you know, but uh, number three look good. Boy, where has he been? That dude is fast. I don't know. I don't know why it's taken them so long. It took an injury to Deontay Vines to really get him going. I know he had one catch, at first career catch at Iowa last week against Northwestern that set him up and, and put him in field goal range. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure why it's taken so long. That's a great question for Kirk. I'm sure Kirk would just respond and say, hey, he, he's been maturing, he wasn't ready, and he's got a lot of talent, but it was raw. I don't know that I buy that totally, but I, I that's what he's going to say. We're not there in practice every day. Right. And still didn't get to 25 points, but, hey, 400 yards is an improvement, and uh, the defense looked great as always. Um but let me let me get this out the way, Corey. I know you don't like Harbaugh. That's fine. We love him. He's our – I guess he's got to be your cup of tier now. But I will say this. I'm pretty sure that guy who I, – I don't know how he got into our program because for my entire life, our program 
was one of the bright lights of college football about doing things the right way and working hard and doing not cheating, right? So this is ticking me off to no end. I don't know how it happened, but I will say this. Pretty sure Coach Harbaugh didn't have him in San Diego State. Pretty sure he didn't have him in Stanford. I'm pretty sure he didn't have him in the NFL when he went to the Niners, right? And I'm pretty sure we're one win away from 1,000 wins for the program. So if you think that we're our talent, if you look at the talent on the roster for the last few years, it's vastly different. Uh, and Coach uh, Patterson, we talked about last time when the university let go of Lloyd Carford because he was struggling with Ohio State and – Man, did that cost us for years. You, we became a circus. I knew Lloyd Carr very well. Lloyd Carr is one of the finest coaches I've ever known. Oh, we loved him. And we loved I him. I didn't see that happen to him. He deserved better. And, and Coach, not only that, there was such a culture destructor for us because we were in a bad culture for years. Harbaugh came into that. We turned it around. Cade helped, you know, and Eric all helped, and, and, and we got some people in. Well, we got some elite runners. We got some elite lines. We got an NFL quarterback now, which we hadn't had in forever. So I'm pretty sure the wins today that we got today, that's how you go up to Happy Valley and slap some kitties around y'all, right? So I hope you guys don't see us at the end of the year. Well, um, all I all I have to say is, regardless of of how what's his face made it into the program, that apparently happened on the headman's watch. Correct. Oh yeah, no, definitely. He's he's the head of the program now. I don't even know if Jim knows him, but he is the head of the program, like you said. And what drives me nuts is that's not we've been having issues with Weiss and. Whatever's going on with his situation may not be program related, but there was something weird going on there. And you got to know who your personnel is. And I don't know who's in charge of that, but they need to clean that up. We can't have that in our program. I mean, because to see my program, who's always been the light of football to me, become the dark horse of football, it's just is crazy right now. You well, know? And, my, my big thing is accountability. I mean, this obviously you talk about, uh, integrity and the, you know, the ethical side of all this. Mm-hmm. And you're obviously a proponent for playing clean and, and playing by the rules. I, I just, if this was done on his watch, which it appears that it was, I understand why the big 10 would suspend him right now. You're in the middle of a season. I mean, it would be such a weird situation if you just allowed him to continue to coach given how strong these allegations are done. I mean, were you surprised? Do you agree with the decision to, to put him on the sidelines. I know uh, that's been a controversial issue and it sounds like it's going to become a legal issue for the big 10, but just your thoughts on the situation. I, I really do think this is probably going to culminate and I could be totally off. Leo, you may tell me I'm wrong. I think this is going to culminate with Jim Harbaugh just leaving at the end of the year. I'm guessing he goes back to the league because this has been a lot of drama that, he, you know, he'd probably say, I don't need this. Let me go back to the league get put all this behind me and don't got to deal with recruiting. Uh, he's had interest. Obviously he's been interested in the league in recent years anyways, because he interviewed Minnesota a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Just Don, your thoughts on the situation, Don. Well, John's certainly done. Okay. He's got a lot of job security. I think with the Ravens, 
um, it, it does appear that the commissioner has heard from a lot of Big Ten coaches. And I think one of the reasons he did what he did is because of the because of the interaction he'd had with the Big Ten coaches. I don't know which coaches might have felt most strongly about it, but certainly there are any number of coaches that felt strongly that this needs to be a significant penalty because this is um, this is documented that it's certainly in violation of the rules with what's happened. So I think one reason the commissioner did what he did is because he was emboldened by the feedback he got from maybe ADs and coaches. I do not know. I don't know that. But I've certainly heard about the, some coaches were very outspoken about the whole process. I don't know that any ADs have said a word, but but I do know some coaches. It's gotten back to the media that certain coaches felt really strongly about what happened. And um, and I, who knows exactly what the what the proof might be, but it does sound like it can be documented that these things all happened. It appeared to be organized and and widespread. If 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 Purdue was being scouted based on Purdue's Are you still talking? up and down past, if Purdue was being scouted, it's not hard to imagine. I guess the record would show maybe all Big Ten teams were scouted. I don't know. But as I understand it, there is a there is printed information that that details exactly how the scouting all took place. And that's that's pretty incriminating. And I, I realize that still doesn't guarantee that Coach Harbaugh knew anything about it. I don't know that he did or not. It's kind of hard to imagine that those kind of things would be happening um, within a program, but it's conceivable that he doesn't know. So I don't know what Coach Arbaugh knows and doesn't know, but um, it's it's a it's a embarrassment for the conference. I'll say that. And, oh yeah, and uh, it's unfortunate. And the crazy part of it all is it hard to imagine that Michigan might not be unbeaten regardless of all this information that's supposedly been gathered, it's not hard to imagine they'd still be unbeaten. So that's why it's unfortunate that they've been put in the spot they're in. So, um, guys, so maybe you can help me clear something up with it. And that's just my ignorance here. It's not – because I think the bullet statement they said was like the the NCAA sign stealing is not illegal, but I guess the method of what happened is what's illegal. Is what they're saying, right? Yeah, you know, signals were were captured on on camera or on phone, and then if you do that, of course, you can go back and marry up with the video. You can marry up which signals mean mean certain things. They've asked me as a, a former offensive coordinator, give us an idea, coach, of how that would be helpful. And the the simplest example I could cite would be: imagine there's a certain set of signals that relate to an all-out blitz. And maybe they don't use that blitz very often at all. They do a great job in disguising that blitz. And so if you know what that signal is, and you can have early warning that here comes the blitz, now you can call the perfect play to take advantage of that blitz situation that um, that they're about to give you. So that's the simple example of, of um, knowing one particular call could affect the outcome of the game because if you hit the blitz in the head with the, with the ideal call, then obviously it could affect the outcome of the game. Right. Okay. And Leo, tell, me, I, tell me about 
tell Mark Rogers, uh, I get it, but I guess he can use that excuse when they get their tail kicks in two weeks. <laughs> Sounds good. Lee. I'll tell him. I'll let him know. I think he's listening right now, so I'll let uh, him. I'll be on his channel, too. I'll see you, Mark. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Take Leo. Care, Leo. All right. Appreciate it, Leo. Um, humble Michigan oh, Mark has a response already. Don't Bottom cheat. line, don't cheat. Bottom line, don't cheat. So, uh, that's uh, that's Mark Rogers, the voice of college football. There, um, we're going to kind of speed up our calls a little bit. We've got James, we've got Austin, we've got Corey, we've also got our phone line. Let's go to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game with Coach John Patterson. Who's on the line? Hello, hello, you're on the air. You're on the air. Hello. You think anybody's on the other side of this line, Don, or should I cut it? Apparently not. Okay. Well, if they're just, maybe they're just, you know what it might be, Don? They realize they finally get a chance to talk to you and they're just stunned. They're just, or like our caller earlier, I hope there's no medical emergency going on. Last chance. Caller, are you with us? Okay. I have to let the caller slide. Let's go to our next caller. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game hey, with Coach Don Patterson, hey, who's on the line. Me? Hey, yes. You hear me? I got gotcha. you. This is, this is Brian down in Arkansas. Hey there, Brian. How are you? <laughs> I got a couple comments. Well, no, actually... Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, Hello. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm here. I'm here. We're going to play this game. <laughs> Brian, can I get you to turn your radio down or your... I, I don't have a radio on. Or your, your phone or your your computer or whatever. I think this maybe we're... Brian down in Arkansas. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. All right. It's the Brian Don Arkansas. I've called before. I listen to I watch you all the time on the YouTube there. Hey, appreciate uh, that, Brian. Got got a couple got a couple comments and a question. Okay. Uh I'm gonna put Don on the on the on the hot seat to start it off. Uh with this Michigan thing and I'm gonna end it just with one question. Hasn't uh Play stealing, being a part of football forever. There's nothing wrong with eyeballing the bench that's across the field from you and trying to pick up any kind of communication they have with players on the field as the game is played out. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and that's precisely why they people typically have more than one signal man. You know, one signal's live, one's dummy. You saw any number of Rutgers players, uh, or I guess they were players, Rutgers coaches or players dressed in different outfits, you know, four different colors. Right. I found myself wondering today, are you only live maybe for one quarter to the next? In other words, do you have four signal people because what, each one's live at a different time in the game? I don't know. It's not really worth Go ahead. That's the, that's the reason the pro coaches hold their cards up over their mouth when they're talking. Well, to begin with, what would solve a lot of our problems is if the quarterback 
uh, had had um, access to what the coaches on the sideline are saying, you know, to go the NFL route. Right. Maybe that's right. going to happen going forward. That'd be one way to counter anything like this ever happen. It's simply for the. That's my. That was my other question. Why don't they go? Yeah. Headphones and the helmets. Right. And that that way that will solve all this. But yeah, uh, another thing, another thing I had too is uh, that uh, lady that called earlier about the uh, comment about Rutgers. Yes. If 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 she wants to clarify that comment, just to tell her to tell that person, whoever she was talking to, to watch the post game interview with the Rutgers coach because he sure in the heck didn't think they took a crap or whatever you want to call it. That's I correct. Mean, he, he gave he, all the credit to Iowa. Yeah, he gave all the credit to Iowa and, and he said, hey, they they outplayed us. They outcoached us. And that's just the way it is, you know? I mean, I, they, I have a lot of respect for Greg Schiano. I have a lot of respect for Greg Schiano. I know he didn't work out in the league, and there was some controversy with his time uh, in Tampa Bay. But I have a lot of respect for him. I think he's a really good coach, and he's made that program respectable. So I, I respect that out of him, and I would expect nothing less out of Schiano. Yeah, I mean, you know, so that for that person to make that kind of comments, this I agree with her. It's this stupid. It's yep. just absolutely stupid. Uh, the only uh, one last question I have. Do you think I'm I'm just kind of pulling one here, but do you think at halftime Brian went to because they always said that Kurt is actually the one that's running the offense. We've heard it time after time after time that nothing happens unless Kurt approves it. Well, that's do what, you think? That's what the fans say. That's we've never heard that. That's from what the fans say. The no, that's what the yeah. fans say. Do you think that Brian went to Kurt at halftime and said, "Look, I'm 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 gonna be leaving here at the end of the season. Let me open up the offense. Let me try some things and see how they work." And they came out in the second half, and they worked. I don't think that happened. No. Truthfully, truthfully, our approach in the first half was very much the same as it was in the second half. We did a good job of keeping off balance, off balance even in the first and second quarters. Because it seemed like the offense opened it up in the second half. I mean, they opened it up. Well, frankly, in the first half, we did too. They just had a, you know, they had the red zone interception and they had the missed field goal. Right. and. Um, All right. You know, it's not like they scored 50 points. They scored 22 points. So, I mean, you know, you... you hey, hey you, wait a minute, Corey. 22 points is like 50 the way we've been playing. I know. You're right. You're absolutely right. And 400 total yards tells, you know, I think, even bigger story. Yeah. So, I just thought the second half, they really opened things up. They just... They let them throw the ball. They opened things up. Uh, you know, they set up the, the pass with the running plays. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not jumping up and down saying Hill should be our starting quarterback, but at the same time, they really opened it up. I thought. Well, let's hope that let's hope that continues next week. 
I tell you what, the way Illinois played today, we're going to need to. Yeah, yep. Illinois is going to be a challenge, and you know Brett Bielema is going to have his guys ready to play against his alma mater next week. There's no doubt about it. Well, that's all I had, guys. I appreciate the show. And, Corey, I think maybe if you grow a mustache with with the black cowboy hat, a, a real young Burt Reynolds is what I'm thinking. The, the, the Don usually is coined Burt Reynolds. Wow. I'm a young I Burt know, Reynolds. I know, I know, but I think you can steal it from him if you just grow the mustache. <laughs> well, giddy, giddy, all I have to say is giddy up. Thank you, sir. I believe Burt Reynolds has left us. I don't know if it's good that anybody's <laughs> identified as being like Reynolds anymore. Um. Sling Ding uh, 41, has Cade been taken over by Deacon for the preemptive starting position next year? No, and let me just say this. Uh, Cade should not be the preemptive starter. Uh, that should be an open competition with whoever is here, including Marco Lanez. I just want to say that. Uh, Jake says, uh, I just got here. What's up with the cowboy hat, Dion? Uh, well, <laughs> our caller, Erica, challenged Don to a cowboy hat. He refused to put one on. Uh, uh, we're we're going to have to see if uh, Lisa will... Maybe we can send one to uh, your doorstep, Don. And uh, we I know you don't want to mess up your hair. In fact, Lisa, thank you for the compliment. She says, uh, Corey, you look great in that cowboy hat. Don would look great, too. So uh, there you go, Don. You need I don't to- know if I can pull it off, Corey. You wear, you wear it really well, but I'm not sure I can pull it off. Spurs in a cowboy hat. Um, okay, let's go back to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. We have got James on hold. James, welcome. Hey, John. Doing good, man. How are you? I just got home like an hour ago, so I kind of been behind. So I might have missed something that was already said. So, yeah. But uh, first off, I have a question for Don because I was hearing people at the game ask this question. I didn't know how to answer. So, when you're a rugby punter, right? And you're running, and somebody runs into you. Is that still running into the punter? Because, like, Hilson almost ran into him, but he ran right to Hilson, if that makes sense. Okay. Like, if you're a rugby punter, because he's running towards the, like to kick the punt, right? And he almost literally ran right into somebody like on one of the last punts, and they were like, "How? what would that be called? Because he literally well, almost ran into bottom line, if you get ball, if you're able to block the punt in any way, shape, or form, get your hand or body part on the ball, then you cannot rough the punter at that point, right? You got to yeah, get like, ball. What if, what if he gets it off, but then like, he runs into you, and then he – I don't know what happens after that because he's still running in momentum. Well, you know, momentum. I would assume if the if the punter initiated, if the referees, uh, if they determined that he initiated the contact, my guess is they're not going to call anything. Yeah, it's a good question. If, in other words, he makes an effort to block the punt. He doesn't get there. He's moving toward the punter. But at the same time, the punter's moving toward him. Uh, this much I do recall, once you leave the pocket, you lose protection. So I don't know how, how they would enforce it, but uh, with the way the the Rutgers punter was operating, I think I don't know how they interpret it. Is he outside the tackle tackle box? I don't know, but I do know that that um, if the punter leaves leaves the pocket, if you will, of course he's 15 yards deep. If he makes a move to the outside of the field, he loses his protection. So I think, as Corey suggested. If if there is contact made and, and yet no contact with the ball, 
if the punter is moving toward the defender, uh, the the rusher, then I think there would be no foul at all. I think that's correct. That's what I thought, that's what I thought it was, too. I was just checking to make sure because I was 100% sure on the rule. Because like, I was like, if you're running out of the pocket, like that's kind of sometimes it's kind of hard to stop your momentum when somebody's running right towards you. Yeah. But one thing I want to say is it's good to see Caleb Brown being get or getting used the way he did. I feel like he was getting obviously used more than he has been, and I think that kind of helped open up the offense a little bit more because you have another weapon you need to add. But I also felt like Deacon looked really not really good. Obviously, he made the one bad pick in the uh, like the whatever what was it four yard line three yard line whatever it was. Deacon Deacon was at least a an FBS level quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. He was better than he's been. And the run game was there at times. What I mean by at times is like they break off like a run, but then it seems like they would get stuffed like the next three, you know, and then they break off a little bit like a five yard run and they get stuffed again. You know, like it was like kind of like a little spotty where it's like they would get a good run and they would go not that good for the next couple and then get a good run. You know what I mean? It kind of was that way, but it was better than what it's been. So, yep. No, you're right. Um, James, are you going to call in tomorrow for the uh, women's post game show? Uh, we got basketball practice tomorrow night, so I don't know what time. Priorities, my good man. Priorities. The game gets over. I mean, I got this a job show, to do, so don't forget this show takes priority in your life. All right, so I got a job to do, though. So yeah, you know. job takes back seat, as does the woman. This show should always take priority. Just don't forget that, and you make sure you let your. Uh, your lady friend know the same thing. For sure. But what was your thoughts on the game, Corey? Since I didn't hear your thoughts like earlier because I was driving. Um, my thoughts are that Deacon, like I said, played uh, much better, played like what you would expect out of an FBS-level quarterback with FBS-level weapons and an FBS-level line. He was not Joe Montana, but he was adequate. That's all they need. They need adequacy from their line, from their quarterback, from their backs, from their receivers. That's what they got. They finally got adequacy from everyone. They got really good play out of the tight ends in spite of the fact that they're really thin now at tight end. Credit the tight end development for that. And, of course, the defense was just rock solid. They should be winning more games, 22-0 or 22-7, 28-7. These are the scores. If I was ever going to be a nationally relevant team, they're going to be winning games something like 20 to 3 30 to six. Like these are going to be the scores. We're not, not 10 to seven. They're not winning a national title or competing in the national scale, uh, playing in the, the single digits. So, uh, this was a complete performance in the first one we've seen in a long time. For sure. And I feel like he looked good. He made a couple overthrows here and there, but like the Orworth throw was a big throw. Like that was a big play too. Cause like the minute he got open, we were all like, bro, he's wide open. Just hit it. You know? Cause I think in our heads, we're all afraid he's going to overthrow that, you know? Cause like he has some, had some open receivers early in the year where he, he would have them open. He was overthrowing, you know, just launch it halfway over their head. So it's like, and that cat, when he passed out, it's kind of like, I don't want it to be overthrown just cause you know, he has that tendency to overthrow a little bit. So it kind of was scary a little bit, but it was a good catching. Yeah, probably the biggest catch of his career so far. Obviously, he's a freshman, so he probably have more going. But it's cool to see the two freshmen get an opportunity and make the most of that opportunity as well. Absolutely, sir. All right, I'll talk to you later, and hopefully the women can pull it off tomorrow. And I'll try to see if I can get on the call before I have to leave. But I don't know what time I have to leave yet. Got to so. call in for Iowa, you and I. I I should be able to I'll probably be like one of the first. What time is it? Two, so I'll probably end at four. Four four o'clock for the post game. See, I'll, I'll probably be here for a bit. Talk to you later.
All right. Um, let's see. Erica in the super chat. Can coach tell us another Hayden Fry story in honor of our win tonight? Let's save that to the end. Thank you for the super chat, Erica. And we'll come back to that. I want to acknowledge it. Uh, we'll get a, so think about a story, Don, for our final moments. We're going to have to kind of get through our callers here. Cause we've got still people wanting to call in. I want to watch Iowa state BYU. <laughs> I want to watch Iowa state BYU and they're underway. So uh, let's get to our next Iowa smokehouse caller. Before we do that though, I want to make sure we, uh, acknowledge as we continue to recap uh, Iowa and Rutgers. I want to make sure we acknowledge our sponsor, Iowa Smokehouse, and uh, their awesome snacking uh, products. And, and certainly uh, check out their full selection at iowasmokehouse.com. Tasting is believing with their uh, beef jerky, their meat sticks, their salsas, ketchups, barbecue sauces, and more. Use the code Hawkeyes and pair this stuff, folks, with your favorite bourbon, your favorite beer, whatever the case is, maybe just a soda. Use the code Hawkeyes at iowasmokehouse.com. Tasting is believing with Iowa Smokehouse. All right, let's go back to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. We will go to Austin, who's been on hold. Austin, welcome to the show. Austin, welcome to the show. Okay, Austin's not here either. You think people just fall asleep waiting so long since we go like two to three hours, Don, you think people just fall asleep eventually and that's what's going on? Um, Maybe. We cannot hear you, Austin. So I see you in the chat. Uh, we are, we cannot hear you. Yes. Your mic is not working. Let's go to our Iowa Smokehouse call in line with Corey. We'll try to get Austin back. Let me know, Austin, if you get it fixed, Corey, welcome to the show. All right. <clears throat> Am I live? You're live. Okay. Awesome. As live uh, as you're going to be. Yeah. I'm back. Uh, I, Drove from Michigan, brought my youngest son. Um, he's since seen Cooper DeGene a couple weeks ago. He's decided he wants to play football. He had no shown no interest in football. And after after the impact that Cooper DeGene, uh, or impression that Cooper DeGene left on him, he's now officially brainwashed and he's also a Hawkeye junkie. Um, he's smiling over there, but, uh, I'm back at my, my hotel room in Moline and, uh, ready to trek it back to Michigan, uh, tomorrow morning. But I'm very grateful. I felt like we had one tall order to try to, I, I thought that, uh, Rutgers would, uh, Wimsat would run all over us, and I thought that that running back would run all over us. And when we went in and the ball wasn't bouncing our way, we missed that field goal, uh, and then we throw that pick, and it's 3-0. I just had a really bad feeling, like we're going to lose like 13-6. to And um, I'm just really grateful. And I, I guess, Don, I would like to ask this question. Um showing um, not being so quick to move away from a quarterback that's struggling um, and showing a little bit of patience with a struggling quarterback. um, Which have you noticed works better over time to stick with your guy, even when he's struggling or to make a switch, um, you know, does it cause irreparable damage to the confidence of that quarterback that's struggling if you move away from him? 
what would you say is the more times than not uh, most beneficial in a, and I know every circumstance is unique, but you know, when, when is the right time to move away? It seems like in this specific instance, it seems as though maybe Kirk's patience with Deacon perhaps will pay off or it, it you know, it's one game. It's a couple games, but it's one, uh, no, no, it's one game, Corey. It's one game. Yeah, I mean, we have not seen we have not seen even a glimmer of breath and life from the quarterback position since Cade McNamara went down. With with the exception of at least he made a drive to get us in field goal range last week, you know. Okay, but, yeah, it was like two, two throws, but well, yeah. I right, but it wasn't a pick like the previous weeks, you know, to right. end the game. So I, I guess my question is this, Don. I mean. What have you seen of all the quarterbacks that you've gone through and seen struggle um, and you've stuck with them? How many have recovered versus how many have not? How many have improved, you know, versus, you know, when is it time to make a move to that next quarterback? Is it so many losses? Is it so many ineffective well, that's games? That's a good question. I'll share with you something I share with Corey. Corey, I'm going to go ahead and share it on the airwaves now, too. Referencing last week's game, do you remember we ran the eighth naked of the day, however many we ran, except after a while Northwestern decided, you know what, we better play naked. So they did. And now there's a guy up in his face, and now, and now Deacon is thinking, I can still get the ball off the field. We're going to be okay. I'll throw it away. Well, it it was a dying quail. It wasn't anywhere near the boundary. And we are so fortunate that that ball was not returned. It would have been intercepted on about the plus 30-yard line. I'm talking about their 30-yard line going in. And if the guy fell down with the ball, they'd have a short field. Uh, it's entirely possible he might have run it back for a touchdown even because there weren't very many tacklers available. The comment I made to Corey, and Corey, you remember me saying it to you after we got off the air. I said, Coach Fry, if he was on our sideline, last Saturday in Evanston, and he had put up with Deacon up until that point in the game, he would have had a three-word response to what just happened. He would have simply said, get him out. He's done. He would have taken him out, I will promise you. That's exactly what I would have done at Western Illinois, too. If I had seen what I had seen that day, and it had been followed up with that ball thrown out in space and should have been intercepted, that would have been enough for me. Let's not forget, there was also a strip sack. Now, thankfully, we recovered it. I thought Deacon recovered it. I think the play-by-play -play said that Richmond recovered it. Um, the TV replay really didn't indicate which player did. But anyway, we were lucky enough to recover that one versus the two that happened against Minnesota. So the bottom line, you got to you got to learn from your mistakes. you got to demonstrate better judgment than that. It's not realistic. If, if the guy has you in the grasp, it's not going to be easy for you to get the ball off the field. And for that matter, even if you do, they might flag you for being in the pocket, and that's a penalty too. So, you know, sometimes you just have to eat the ball. And that's one of those cases in which you should have. Now, I realize he hadn't had a lot of experience, so I've been kind of careful to be too critical of, of Deacon because he's trying to learn as quickly as he can. He simply hadn't played a lot of college football yet. Uh, but the bottom line, you know, 
we played game game ten today. So uh, you know, it's been he's been the backup quarterback ever since August. So you have to learn from your snaps and also learn from the starter snaps. So you're taking mental reps even when you're not going. You're learning from Cade while Cade's healthy. And the bottom line is that learning process hadn't happened fast enough for John Hayden Fry, I'll promise you, because Coach Fry would have said, if I were the quarterback coach, he would have said, I've seen enough, get him out. That's what he would have said. I'm confident in saying that because I worked for the man for 21 years. So to answer your question, sometimes leaving a guy in there and showing that you have a lot of confidence, maybe he'll work his way through it. But in the process, he might get time room. Let's face it, I lost one of those games that Deacon played in were it not for a monumental effort on defense. So we stuck with him. We stuck with him. Kirk has shown a lot of patience to stay with him. And now it's today it appeared to pay off. I hope so. It certainly paid off today. But again, Deacon, I want to make Deacon, you just what you just said, Don, is it's been the case for three years. Uh Iowa has won a lot of games in spite of quarterback play for years now. And so That's it's true. not just so we talk about well, patience. Patience never seemed to really pay off. Now maybe we'll. Some people would stake the claim that patience paid off with Spencer Petrus because they had no better option to turn to. But I, I agree with you, Don. And I would. My opinion on potentially playing Marco Linez at some point does not change based on one good performance against Rutgers. Um, I've right. never been an advocate for benching Deacon Hill, but I'm an advocate for playing multiple quarterbacks, and that's something that you deployed and that. Coach Aiden Fry deployed at Iowa. Correct. We did. Think of it this way. If a running back coughs the ball up, if if Liddell Betts pulls him out of the game, are they surprised by that? Not at all. But does that mean that Liddell will not give him another opportunity as the game plays out? Well, if he doesn't, he certainly give him an opportunity in the next game, provided they don't cough the ball up in practice. But that's, you know, today that was a ball that absolutely shouldn't have been thrown at the end of the half. You know, it's a chip shot field goal. Let's face it, six nothing is a lot different than three nothing the way we play defense. Really, if you're up three nothing, then you can't help but feel if you're ahead by three, that's really the equivalent of being ahead by six with our defense. If you're ahead by seven, you feel like you're ahead by fourteen. The bad news, the way we struggle on offense, if we're down by seven, it feels like we're down by fourteen, because we know that's a big hill to climb for us because we struggle to make points. And, Hope that makes sense. And um, along the lines of that, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing. I'm drinking my swarm beer and I'm getting a bit dehydrated. I got and I got reloaded because I can't get this in Michigan, so I had to reload at high V. But uh, along the lines of that interception at the end of the half. Um, to me, it seemed as though the ball was tipped. Um, my question to you, Don, again, is uh, not not to bypass Corey, but we have the luxury of a, a wealth of knowledge here from a coaching standpoint. Do you see more tipped balls from quarterbacks that throw these lasers that are not arching touch passes at times? Does that create... <clears throat> the likelihood of more tipped balls because if you're throwing the ball on a line, you can't arch it over a, a defender. Does that leave you prone to the tipped ball more often? 
Yeah, I think a lot of quarterbacks would tell you uh, balls are not often thrown over the outstretched hand of a rushing lineman. They're more often thrown between linemen than they are over linemen. And, um, and, and part of the burden, I would argue, should be placed on the offensive line. If you've stymied your pass rusher and you have an idea when you won the battle, right, for that particular play, let's face it, if the ball comes out in three seconds and you've stymied him for the first two and a half seconds and he's still nowhere near where you know the quarterback is, you should expect him to gather himself and try to jump, right? Because he's not going to get to the quarterback. Well, if he can't get to the quarterback, he should gather himself and try to time up his leg so that he can get a hand on the ball. You should anticipate that, and at that point in time, if he does jump, you should hit him right in the stomach with your helmet. That'll get his attention. He'll be thinking twice about doing it later if you strike him in the in the stomach while he's in a vulnerable position when he's jumping. So the, the point is, if he gathers himself, attack him. Don't just sit there and feel like you won the battle because if he's jumping, then that's on you too. You know, you need to keep contact with him so that he doesn't have a chance to jump. Yeah, and and uh, also, I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, but um, with respect to Deacon, um, it just seems like he's really staring down his receivers an extended period of time and really giving them a nice telegram as to where it's going so they can predict it a little bit. Um, yeah, there's, there's some truth to what you say. You know, a, a more experienced quarterback, and Dickon will gain that experience, he'll understand that he can use his eyes to influence where defenders play. He can look them the direction he wants to look them and then throw another direction. You're exactly right. And and I don't want to hog up all the time. I'm going to jump to one more subject, revisit, because I live in Michigan. I'm in enemy territory. Uh, <clears throat> actually, most Michigan fans are pretty fond of Kirk Ferentz up there. They got a lot of respect for him. But um, with respect to any disciplinary action towards the University of Michigan, you, you want something that's proportionate to the crime. To me, um, how much real impact is there for a head coach to be out three games, you have all your coordinators, you have all the X's and O's are likely not going to change. If he's there at practice, what is the real cost of not having the coach there? I mean, there's some fourth down decisions, there's some key decisions, but how much of a hit are they really taking um, for the potential significance of a loss of integrity to the to the Big Ten Conference to some degree. Do you feel as though the head coach not being present at the games is, is proportionate to the crime? To me, they don't really miss him. And I, I hear a lot of fans talking about it, um, that it's not going to hurt them. I, what, what would be your take on that as far as the punishment, fitting the crime and yeah. it's fully investigated yet, but um, how much impact is that head coach really going to have? Are they really being hit that hard or is it kind of a, just a figurehead that's not 
not in place. And anyway, I'll let you talk. Thank you. Appreciate that. That is a good question. I do think that Michigan is a very, very experienced football team. Their starters have played a lot of games in general. And, of course, they still have their coordinators there. They still have their position coaches there. Coach Harbaugh still puts his stamp on the game plan preparation because he's there during the week. I have no doubt, uh, just observing him during the games themselves, I have no doubt that he's very involved, especially, I think, with the offense. It's hard to be on both fields at once, of course. I think he has a bigger a bigger uh, effect on their offensive plan than he does their defensive plan. But clearly, he's got people on defense that he can trust. So I think that brings up a good point. I don't think his absence on on Saturday is uh, a huge detriment to Michigan just because they have such an experienced football team. And clearly, the coordinators know what they're doing. Um, so I can see where he's coming from. You know, Coach Harbaugh still is, is very involved with the planning. And then he simply turns it over to the coaches and players to carry out the plan. Um, head coaches do make those tough decisions. Do we kick a field goal or do we go for fourth and one? Um, you know, do we do we take advantage of a waste down or not? You know, you might hear, Corey, as you've heard me discuss, a uh, head coach might, might tell the play caller if it was second and two on the, on the plus 40-yard line, he might even say when it's second and two, take a shot. He might tell him to do that because maybe the play caller would be a little bit nervous about making that call. Certainly Hayden Fry would call play action on second and two some, and so would I, but that's not something we do at Iowa very often at all. But I don't doubt that Coach Harbaugh might say on second and two, take a shot, at which point he's not telling him what play to run. He's simply telling them, I want to play action pass. Yeah. Uh, so the same thing on third down. Maybe he's already made up his mind that we're going to go for it on fourth down. And all he has to say is, you've got fourth down. That You know, that's all the play caller needs to hear. Now he knows third down and two. Uh, I've got two downs to make two yards, but we're down by two scores. So when, he, when the head coach tells me you've got fourth down, what he's really saying without saying it is if you want to take a shot on third and two, have at it. Correct. Um, so head coaches do make those kind of decisions so often. Coach is not on the sideline, of course, he can make that decision. I think it's strictly a play caller that the defense and defense does. We do need to kind of blitz through these. I'm I'm going to miss the whole first half here, folks. So I'm I'm sacrificing this for the post game show. I'm going to miss the whole first half of Iowa State BYU. I've come to terms with that. It's ten to seven right now. Cyclones over the uh, Cougars. And my pledge to you, Corey, is my answers are going to be shorter. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, so first of all, Brett wants to know: Is there any way that the offense gets worse if they put Marco in? Well, if you know Deacon plays like he did today, sure, there's a, a chance, but. Uh, he hasn't shown that uh, prior. I don't think he had much to lose heading into this game, but uh, a glimmer of hope at the quarterback position. And uh, Lisa wants you to know, Don, that uh, apparently Kirk mentioned they're getting Deacon into a conditioning program during the offseason. So that's good that's, to know. 
Um, okay, uh, we let's go back to our Iowa Smokehouse call line. Austin, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me this time? I got you. Wonderful, wonderful. Good to talk to you again. Uh, few and far, I get to call in, and I missed the first half of your show. We're getting ready for a cruise tomorrow. So, okay. Um, great win. Uh, did a little bit of looking into the Big Ten West stand, or I guess a little bit of, like into the standings. So we, as they said on the uh, the or on TV, they said, you know, we are guaranteed co Big Ten West champions. I think that's kind of silly, but the fact that we have a co-champion is the stupidest thing I think. I've yeah, ever in my life. But go ahead. The way I look at it, if you if you don't go to play for the Big Ten championship, you're not the Big Ten West champion. Correct. It's just that simple. Um, so that's we right now are the front at five and two. Then Nebraska, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Northwestern, and Illinois are all at three and four. So. As long as we win one of our next two games, we are the Big Ten West champions. Right. Assuming, yep. let's hypothetical worst thing in the world, we lose both of our games. Right. That would put us at the losing tiebreaker to Nebraska or Minnesota. Only everyone else can win out. We don't care about anyone else's schedules. The only two that we don't want to win out, if we lose out, is Nebraska and Minnesota. I'll tell you. Uh... This is a big game next Saturday because I do not want to go into Lincoln with the West title and a trip to Indy on the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a scary proposition, especially if Nebraska is a team that's still involved in the race. I will say I I, I disagree for a small reason. Like I said, you want to lose, lose against Illinois? No, I, I always want to win. I just I like the potential storyline here, right? If Nebraska plays against, or Nebraska next week plays against Wisconsin. If they win that game and then we lose to Illinois, right? That puts us potentially losing our two games and Nebraska win being one game away. If we lose to Illinois and Nebraska wins two minutes versus Wisconsin, that makes Iowa versus Nebraska the Big Ten West Championship game. So. I just love that storyline. It's just such a fun storyline. A stupid <laughs> storyline is what it is. <laughs> I, it, it, it's it's if like we get to... If they blow the West title as bad as the division is right now... Oh, then, yeah. No, I don't have any interest in seeing a Black Friday game versus Iowa-Nebraska be the play-in game for battle for the Big Ten West. I, <laughs> I have no interest in that, Austin. Uh, okay. Okay. I would say this. Our fan support is such. I would hope that that the players might feel this way. We owe it to our fans to clinch next Saturday. Do it in front of them. That's what we owe to our fans. And then another thing I mentioned at a luncheon I did the other day, I said, I said, I realize we can still represent maybe after losing another game, but we owe it to this great football conference, the Big Ten. We owe it to the conference to be a great representative of the West. And the only way to do that is to be 10 and two. I said that before we mm-hmm. played today and I still feel that way. Mm-hmm. We need to win out because to be able to back into it is embarrassing. Let's be the best representative we can be. Let's be 10 and two. We'll still be the underdog at 10 and two. That's okay. Because at that point we will have done a good job of representing ourselves in the West. We might end up winning the, that's the conference championship. 
I'm sorry, the Western Division Championship by two full games mm-hmm. at that point. Oh, don't get me wrong. I would love to see us win both. I just, yeah, I'm a sucker for the the like, oh, everything is on this play moment. But <laughs> oh, well, we just need to go out and play play a game like we did today. We need to play a game like we did at Wisconsin. I made the comment after the Wisconsin game. I said, if we show up and play with the same high energy and enthusiasm against Minnesota that we did against Wisconsin, we'll win against Minnesota. I don't think we got that done. Absolutely. So but- that's our challenge. We have to, if we can match next Saturday, our effort and enthusiasm that we had today, we're going to be in fine shape. I think that'll be good enough to get us another win. Absolutely. On that note, was there anything that you saw today that was the, I guess, the guiding point of us playing lights out tonight? What What was different today versus Minnesota other than we won and everything seemed to work better? Was there any defining thing that you saw? I just think you see a very, very determined football team. You saw that last week, too. Um, you know, we were not very good on offense last week, but let's not forget when they tied it up 7-7 and we only had a minute 50 when they scored their touchdown, it meant we had to move the ball now. Otherwise, we're looking at overtime. And you could say we only moved it 35 yards or 37 yards, whatever it was. But when we had to move it, we moved it. We had to get it in field goal range. We did that. And I didn't think for a second that Drew was going to miss the kick. I knew he'd make it. Mm-hmm. He's still the best kicker in the Big Ten. I wouldn't trade him for anyone. Um, Austin, I'm going to cut you loose because uh, it's three hours and 40 minutes in. So. Yep, I get you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. You have a good night. You too. All right, let's go to our final uh, caller of the day in our Iowa Smokehouse call on line. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game with Coach Don Patterson, who's on the line. Good evening, gentlemen. This is John. Hi, John. Hey, Coach Patterson, what was your favorite thing about coaching, your least favorite thing about coaching, and what advice would you give to somebody that wanted to get into coaching as a career? I think my favorite thing about coaching, the beauty of coaching college football, or for that matter, you could certainly say the same about high school football, the guys you're working with are young men. They're not men. So you have a chance to have a profound impact on their lives. You know, you're you're in a – a position in which you can mentor them, not just about football, but about how to how to be a responsible adult. You can help them to deal with their their uh, their issues when they're college students. Let's face it, you know they they're they're not nearly nearly matured and grown. So you you can help them and educate them and help them to make good choices and prepare them for later life. I think that's the greatest reward of all. You know, it meant so much to me when I retired. A lot of players reached out to me that day, and they said, in so many words, that fundamentally they said the same thing. They said, Coach, you made a difference in my life. I can't thank you enough. And that was all I needed to hear because it's a real sacrifice to be a college football coach. You have to give a lot of time to it. And I felt like there were times when I didn't spend as much time with my own daughter as I wished I could. Uh, and we spent a lot of time together, but in the fall, let's face it, there's not a lot of free time. So only then did I know that all that hard work really did pay off, that, that we had guys that were successful in later life, in part because of what they learned as college football players. So that's the greatest reward, I think.
30th right now, I imagine I would say it would have to be this nightmare of a thing called Transportal and NIL and just recruiting in general. I think it's unfortunate that we're at the point now where players can, uh, coaches can buy players and, um, and not have to worry about being penalized for it. You know, I think the beauty of the game, I say it this way, even the NFL has a salary cap, right? So why in God's name, the beauty of college football these years is that in theory, it was all a level, a level playing field. Well, now it's no longer level. Some schools have a lot of money to put toward players and other schools not so much. And that's unfortunate because, because the NFL doesn't believe it's right. In theory, every team has the same payroll. And that all allows for more fair competition. That's one reason the NFL draws such good crowds is because everybody has, in theory, an equal chance. In college football, that's not, not the case at this particular moment. What advice would you give to somebody wanting to get into coaching? Well, you better be sure you have a passion for the game. Uh, I think a lot of the best coaches demonstrated, even if they only played high school football, they had a real passion for the game. Um, you know, it's it's um, time-consuming. There's a lot of ways, hours and an effort I put into my coaching career. I have no doubt that I would have made more money if I'd chosen the business route. I actually worked for a short period of time for American Express. I was in a public relations position for American Express, but I wasn't very fulfilled. I was making a really good salary. I just got out of the office making good money, but I wasn't fulfilled, and I had a chance to pursue coaching, and I did. As Coach Fry said, I was really intrigued by a guy that would want to take a 90% pay cut to go to work for me. That's what I did. So I've never regretted doing it because even as a even as a plebe at West Point, one night we were talking about what we were going to be doing in 20 years, and I said that night at the age of 18, I think I'd like to be coaching college football. And 20 years later, I was doing it, and 47 years later, I was still doing it. And I, at the time, I was 65 years old. That was long enough. So I still love the game. I still spend any amount of time working on analytics. It's all designed just to help Iowa in, in, in the best way that I possibly can. And I do know that the coaches appreciate my help, and I'm gratified that they do. Uh, Nick Jackson was on with Gary Dolphin tonight on the post game, and they asked him about Jay Higgins, and he said, that's my best friend here. Uh, he's going to be in my wedding someday. I appreciate Jay Higgins' approach to the situation where – when they brought Nick Jackson in, that he didn't have a bad attitude and say, what are you doing recruiting over the top of me? I put my time in. He welcomed him. And, and it's so far, it's turned out great for both of them. They've been both stellar. And uh, I think uh, a big part of both of their maturation is the other person. Um, I would say how they've worked off each other and, and they live together. And yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I know you, you agree as well, Don. I do. Here's one thing I've always said. Uh, football's the last great democracy there is. And by that, I simply mean this. When I first meet with the players every year, I remind them it's not about them. It's not about any of them individually. It's not about me as their coach. It's not even about our head coach. It's all about the team. And I warn them. I promise you this. After a big win, a veteran coach in the locker room, he's looking around to see who's not happy. 
because that's a bad sign because that is not a team player. Everyone should be happy in a locker room after a game. Doesn't matter what your role is. Doesn't matter if you even got on the field. Maybe your job is simply to be the best scout team player you can be. And when, when the defense plays well and you're an offensive scout, you feel a little bit of satisfaction that the defense could play so well because part of their preparation involved how well you did your job. And that's the beauty of football. It's the ultimate team sport. John, uh, appreciate you calling in, sir. And uh, please don't be a stranger to our basketball shows coming up. All right. Have a good night, guys. Thank you. Thanks, John. Okay. Um, so a brief scoreboard update for everybody. Texas and TCU doing battle with under a minute and a half to go. Longhorns lead 29-26 over on ABC. Also, LSU leading Florida right now. 45-35 late in the fourth quarter. How about Duke leading rival North Carolina late, 29-26. Possible upset brewing in Chapel Hill. Oregon and USC just getting underway. The Ducks leading 7-0. Uh, Kansas falling earlier today. The 16th-ranked Jayhawks falling to Texas Tech, 16-13. Michigan over Penn State, 24-15. Alabama over Kentucky, 49-21. Tulane taking down Tulsa in a battle, 24-22. Arizona squeaking by. Coach Prime and the Buffs, 34 to 31. Kansas State leading, or excuse me, beating Baylor. Been a big, big, uh, a lot of points scored. A lot of points scored. Let me just look real quick. I was curious to see what Keegan Johnson did in this game. I know he had a big game last week for the Wildcats and this week for Kansas State. Keegan Johnson ended with just 31 yards. So three catches, 31 yards for Keegan, but his team scoring 59 points and beating Baylor. Florida State beating Miami 27-20. to 20, Close one there. Uh, number five, Washington uh, battles it out and beats the Utes of Utah 35-28. Missouri with the win over Tennessee. How about this score, Don? 36-7. How about this score? Uh, Oklahoma State's a weird, weird team. They've got now three losses on the season. One to Iowa State, one to South Alabama, and now a 42-point loss to Central Florida. Uh, just unbelievable what that Big 12 conference is right now. Um, and this is coming from a Big Ten West fan. So uh, Oregon State beating Stanford, 62-17. Georgia over Ole Miss, 52-17. Oklahoma over West Virginia, 59-20. Ohio State over Michigan State, 38-3. And, of course, Louisville, uh, the other top 25 team we didn't men mention, beating Virginia on Thursday, 31-24. And, of course, Iowa with the 22-0 shutout against uh, Rutgers. Iowa State right now um, and BYU doing battle in the Big 12 Conference out in Provo. And as of right now, the score is 29-26 toward the end of the first... Excuse me, not 29-26. I'm looking at Texas. By the way, that game is final. Longhorns do win 29-26. Iowa State now up 17-7. They just scored a touchdown. 17-7 right now with a minute left in the fourth quarter. Lonnie, appreciate the super chat. Go watch your game, Corey. Great work tonight. Thank you, Lonnie. Appreciate everybody being a part of this. And Erica wants one final story from you about Coach Hayden, John Hayden Fry. Don, what you got? Oh, my gosh. That's um, – I've been too involved with answering questions to even think of a good story. Let me think for a minute. <clears throat> How about you tell it can, – can I can I interject here? Can you tell us a story about uh, who are you who – uh, who was Iowa playing and – and Hayden, for so Bo Beckler made the the, the uh, comment about punting. I always love that story. Yeah, sure. That's a good short story. Yeah, that was the infamous one versus two game, as I recall. 
So you can imagine, you know, what a competitor Bo was. And I did hear from a good source. This is somebody that actually roomed with Shemmy uh, in college. And Bo was retired. And and uh, and this person got to know Bo as a result of being a roommate of his son. And Bo did say, he said, you know, he said, I hated Iowa. Uh, but at the same time, I had great respect for him because we never did figure out how to defend their offense. That was Bo's comment. And um, and I, I have great respect for Bo. I think he's such a wonderful man and did a great job at Michigan. And I know that a lot of Michigan fans feel the same way toward Hayden. Um, but anyway, uh, tell me again, Corey, you brought it up and I can't remember what you said now. The punt, the punt story. Oh, the punt story, yeah. Yeah, so here they are. It's a big showdown game. CBS, that's back in the days when there was one mid-afternoon game on TV. That was a national game. Every TV in the country. This back in the days before cable, even I guess. Uh, anyway, we're we're warming up to punt, and um, I believe I'm going to tell it right, Corey. You tell me if I'm wrong. There was a backup punter, maybe that was not punting very well. I think was that the case? Right. Pre-game. And most said, "You're really thinking about using that guy to punt against us?" and Hayden's response without blinking an eye, he said, we're not planning on punting. And, of course, <laughs> Bo just laughed. But it was a good response. I remember another, talking about Bo and Hayden, remember this. Uh, might have been the first time Bo showed up in Kinnick. And um, as you know, you've heard all about the pink locker room. I think we, maybe we beat him that first time. The next time Bo came to town, he had his managers use white um, – white butcher block, butcher paper over the walls. No pink locker room because he covered the walls. When Hayden found out, he told Bo before the game, he said, I got you. And Bo said, what are you talking about? He said, you're worried about pink locker room. You're not focused on the game. I got you, Bo. And we beat him again, I do recall. So uh, Hayden was a psychology major. And that even applied to how he, how he interacted with the is um, coaching competitors. Uh, Hayden was a great motivator. And I was able to tell Hayden the very first Christmas after he retired, and I was over at, I'm sorry, the very first season after I had gone to Western Illinois, I called up Coach Fry on Christmas and I said, Merry Christmas, Coach. And oh, by the way, those stories you told at Iowa, I'm telling them at Western Illinois and they still work. And uh, motivational stories, and I, I will admit on the drop of a hat, I can't remember all of them, but I remember them off and on from time to time, and I did use a lot of them. This is the exact same story that Hayden told at Iowa. If they work once, they'll work again. And I'm sure I'm not the only coach that used an old Hayden story either. I, bet, I would imagine Bobby Stoops used a few of them in his years at OU, too. Appreciate the super chat, Erica. Um I want to give a final plug to RTI Threads. Support our sponsors. RTI Threads is proudly carrying the official merchandise and apparel of Hawkeye superstar Cooper DeGene at cd3lacesup.com. Shop it now. And, of course, they also have lines from Aaron Graves, Zach Lutmer, Carson Shire, Aiden Hall, etc. For all of that selection, go to rtithreads.com. You can find the link to Cooper's site in our description. Appreciate RTI Threads for being here. Again, Iowa defeating Rutgers 22 22- Zero, And I kind of ran through some stats earlier. I'll do that real quickly here as we finish up our postgame show almost four hours in. But uh, figure with the offensive 
explosion, quote unquote. We were going to have a longer show. So uh, I guess we can deal with that. Iowa State and the BYU just went to the end of the first quarter. So I'll get most of that game. Um, Deacon Hill on the day, 20 to 31 uh, in through the air with an interception, 223 yards for Deacon and also had a touchdown long of 54 pass to Zach Ortworth, a true freshman tight end. Addison Estringa had eight catches on eight targets, 47 yards. He is uh, rock solid with those hands. Nico Ragaini, 11 targets, led all uh, receivers in this game with 11 targets, 48 yards on four catches. Caleb Brown had four targets, three catches, 27 yards. LaShawn Williams, two catches for 24 yards. Zach Ortworth had the 54-yarder. His first career catch, Seth Anderson, had one catch for 21 yards. Jazz Patterson, one catch for two yards. LaShawn Williams uh, led Iowa rushers with 65 yards gained on, or excuse me, 63 net yards on 13 carries. 54 yards for Caleb Johnson on 10 carries. Jazz Patterson, 53 yards on 14 carries. Caleb Brown had two carries for 20 yards uh, in the game as well. And um, mentioned some of the defensive players that stood out. Uh, As always, just really impressive play from Iowa's linebackers. Nick Jackson, Jay Higgins combined for 15 tackles and a sack. Um, Logan Lee had five tackles. Jamari Harris, three. Herkett, three. Sebastian Castro, three. Uh, Craig, three. Y.A. Black, two. Evans, one. Aaron Graves, one. Wampa, one. Schulte, one. Cooper Jean did not register a tackle. He had one pass breakup. Pretty, uh, I guess you could say, quiet day for Cooper Jean. He kind of scared us all when he fielded a, a punt with a, a bevy of players around him, but that's what Cooper Jean does. And that's good when you don't have to rely on your superstar to be Superman each and every week. So Iowa will now move to, uh, they do move to 9-1 and one on the season. They'll take on Illinois next Saturday, Don. Give us some final words, some some parting shots about Brett Bielema's squad. How does Iowa avoid uh, a home loss on senior day next Saturday inside Kinnick? Well, the simple answer would be to match the effort and enthusiasm we had today. You know, I think we played an outstanding game. We played a complete game. Offense came through. Defense certainly played great football throughout the entire course of the game. Uh, the kicking game was solid. Uh, I know Drew's probably irritated that he missed one, uh, but I don't worry about Drew missing. He's not going to miss many. You can bet on that. Erica wants to end each post-game show with a Hayden story, so uh, I'll do my best to do that. Um, everybody, uh, thank you, uh, folks. Appreciate everybody being here for almost, what, four hours Um We've said before we're not going to do four-hour shows, but then there are circumstances that seem to call for four-hour shows, and then it happens, Don. I haven't eaten yet. I hope you get something to eat uh, as well. I had a bowl of soup. I had a bowl of soup before I started. Soup is always the way to go. Uh, okay, folks, we'll be back next week for Iowa Post Game with Coach John Patterson after Senior Day in Iowa City. Inside Kinnick should be a fun one. Um, and uh, we'll be talking with you, the caller, and uh, Hawkeye fans alike across the globe next Saturday following Iowa and Illinois. Coach, appreciate you taking the time as always, sir, and uh, we'll talk to you in a week. My pleasure, Corey. All right, folks, Iowa, you and I, women, tomorrow, I'll have postgame coverage for you then, plus Iowa Creighton Tuesday, lots going on and football coverage throughout the week. For Coach John Patterson, I'm Corey Bratta from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Have a great night. We will talk to you soon.